This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! And welcome to another episode of Scream Queens. It's the podcast where horror gets gay. This is episode 314. And tonight, our celebration of the fabulous horror films of Canada continues when we take a look at a hidden gem of a psychosexual thriller with a big, creepy, mannequin dummy thing. I'm talking about Pin from 1988, starring Terry O'Quinn from Lost. And to do that, I'm going to be joined by two very fabulous guests, actor, voiceover artist, and semi-professional supervillain, Maya Murphy, and co-host of the Horror Queers podcast and actual Canadian, Joe Lipsit. But before we go a step further, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Walsh, and since 2010, I've been your guide through the weird and wonderful world of horror movies. But... You are going to have to see them through my very, very gay little eyes. <laughs> and you're going to love it. So what's been going on at Scream Queen's headquarters? I know you're all just dying to know. Well, the big thing, of course, is bomb, bomb, smoochy, watchy, what's going on with that cat? This episode might be coming out late because Miss Thing gave me a scare today. I woke up in this morning. She's not in the bed next to me. However, all over the house are huge puddles of diarrhea and puke. And I finally found her underneath the chaise lounge. She wasn't moving, not responding, just laying there panting, and I said, oh boy, so I took her to the emergency room. She's fine. She's fine. She's got another stomach infection. Apparently the food I was giving her does not agree with her. She had an allergic reaction to it, but she's okay, fine. She's here, she's sleeping, she's fat, and she has her hiney shaved. <laughs> it looks Hilarious. No, I will not post pictures of my cat's naked ass for you to laugh at. Be exploited on the internet. Those pictures are for holiday cards. Thank you very much. Aside that things have been quiet, I've been working really hard trying to get ahead of things so that I can have an episode ready for you when I take a couple weeks off. When I take a week off for A, my birthday, and B, my second shot of the Moderna vaccine. Because I know it's going to hit me like a brick wall because you know a flu shot always hits me like a brick wall. I'm always loopy for days. Patrick, you're always loopy. Shut up. Just don't even finish that sentence, okay? Do not be snarky when Canadians are in the house, okay? They can't process that. They can't process that kind of American-style hostility. It's not It's not cute. It's not pleasant. And it ain't right, E, okay? Just don't do it. So I've been glued to the computer oh, pretty much all the time now. I'm working on the Murder by Death episode coming up next. And it, it just, oh my gosh. My back hurts, my front hurts, my hips hurt. It's kind of like when I do the pod of not. That kind of pain. So it's fun. So I'm suffering right now, but you know what? It's worth it all just to be talking to you. Yeah, because you're the greatest person in the whole damn world. So of course, I don't just work on this show. I also work on the two premium shows that are available when you become a patron over at patreon.com slash screamqueens. I just put out an episode of The Final Reel last week, and that's when I tell you all the stuff that I've been watching and what's going on on screen, the, the big screen in the theaters, because we're able to go to the theaters in New York now. Yay. So my patrons got a whole slew of movies that I'm not going to be talking about on here that I recommended, gave the thumbs up to, and a whole bunch of stuff I said, the 
thumbs down to. And I've been trying to keep negativity off the main show as much as possible, but man, I'm telling you right now, because I think everybody knows right now the unholy was awful, I unleashed on the unholy and it was tons of fun. If you paid money to see it in the theaters, I'm sorry I couldn't save you, but my patrons knew. My patrons knew. And of course, this weekend I'm putting out the lost episode of... Damn you, Uncle Lewis, our Friday the 13th, the series retrospective podcast featuring today's guest, Maya Murphy, and also Trey Dean from Texas. Howdy, Trey. Howdy, Patrick. That didn't sound like Trey at all. Anyway, (laughs) I'm a ventriloquist now, which goes with this whole episode. Not the point right now. We're going to be putting out the tattoo episode that we we postponed last time. But I'm going to give you a little taste right now of what we did in its place. We skipped an episode and instead did the one titled The Electrocutioner, in which... A wrongly convicted man is electrocuted, is sentenced to death in an electric chair, electrocuted twice, survives, gets pardons, but then years later he gets a hold of that electric chair, turns it into a barber chair, and is using it to hunt down all those people that are responsible for him getting convicted in the first place. So enjoy this little snippet of Damn You, Uncle Lewis, the electrocutioner. to the jail this is my favorite part because he, he ryan has brought the photograph from the newspaper of all the people from the execution and because they can't figure out who some people are like some people were captioned some people were not and the the warden's like yeah there's this guy and that guy i can't really remember but i still have all my files back at my house why don't you come over for dinner my wife is making <laughs> meatloaf and then after the meatloaf you can fuck my wife while i watch <sighs> Did you like that? Did you like that? The invite was weird. So was Ryan's response. What Ryan said was, I'm going to have to check with my partner. I'm going to have to find out, see what he found out. He left Mickey out of the equation completely. (laughs) Obviously, because who's going to brag about poor Mickey? (laughs) Ryan has a date with one. Bring your partner. It'll be fun. But unfortunately... Dr. Linheim has beat them to it. You see him walking up to the house and going, it wouldn't be great if he knocked on the door and the warden opened the door in a leather bustier and a strap on. (laughs) (laughs) Because he was expecting Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) This is what we call meatloaf at my house. All right, so if you like what you heard and you're interested in becoming a patron and helping support Scream Queens in that way and becoming a super screamer, what you need to do is go over to www.patreon.com slash screamqueens and you can get access to the premium content for as little as $5 a month. The other thing that you should know is that pretty much everything before episode 250 is going to be going away off the main feed. It has to, just because with uh, all these new podcasting services coming up, the big the big name ones like Amazon and Samsung and Apple is their pres- uh, uh, prescription service? What am I saying? Subscription service that's starting this week. I'm guessing that there's going to be a lot more uh, focus on music being used improperly. And those early episodes, I used a lot of music improperly. So they're all going to be disappearing really soon, but they're going to be available to my patrons. So you've been, if you've been trying to play catch up and do that sort of thing, you might want to think about becoming a patron. I don't have a pricing thing for that yet. I haven't had time to think about it, but just to let you know, those episodes could be disappearing very, very soon. But enough self-pimping. So Canadian Horror Month turned out a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be when I picked these two movies, just because of the contrast between them. I only just thought of it this afternoon because we've got My Bloody Valentine. 
classic slasher. Cut for extreme violence and gore. It's about blue-collar workers in a blue-collar job in a dead-end town, low-income, working the dirtiest of dirty jobs that you can think of in a coal mine. Whereas Penn, man, you can't get more white-collar than this family. It's They are rich. They are white. They live in an actual mansion. We keep calling it a house. It's not a house. It's a mansion. And they don't do any work. I mean, the, the, the dad's a doctor, but nobody else does any work ever. And unlike My Bloody Valentine, which, as I said, slasher movie, gore, violence, high body count, Penn has one drop of blood in the whole film and a body count of one. Okay, three if you count the parents who die in a car accident, but it's an actual car accident. They're not murdered. There's only one murder in the whole film. And yet they're both terrifying films in completely different ways. I'm very satisfied with that. Now, the unfortunate thing is that Pin is way out of print. You can't find it anywhere except on YouTube. There are many perfectly gorgeous copies uh, prints of Pin floating around on YouTube. And if you haven't seen the movie, I really recommend that you stop the podcast now and come back after you've seen it. Because we are going to have to spoil the hell out of it. You can't talk about the movie without spoiling the hell out of this one. And it's a great one. It's a great, creepy, moody, heartbreaking film. And I think you're going to love it. So go check that out on YouTube. We'll wait. I'll be here when you come back. Pin is the one and only friend Leon's ever had. The only one who doesn't care that Leon's different. What? Must be crazy to be here tonight. I defended you. Boy, was I dumb. You never had secrets from each other. Only Pin knows Leon's darkest secret. Leon? Hello, Marsha. Oh. oh, my God. When someone hurts Leon, Pin hurts them. When someone tries to come between them, Pin won't let them. I don't think Aunt Dorothy will be staying with us for very long. What do you mean? Might take her a little while to feel the vibrations, but I think she will. If you want to get closer to Leon, you'll have to take care of Pin before Pin takes care of you. Is Pin a friend? Oh, please. Or an enemy? Only Leon knows. What have you done? What have you done? What am I going to do? Pin, some friendships die hard. So, our salute to the Canadian horror films continue here at Scream Queens for the month. And first time around, we looked at a super famous one. And now we're going to go dig it a little deeper for a more obscure one that's still actually quite fabulous. And to do that, I'm going to bring on two very special people. The first, you know her, you love her. She's an employee of mine over at my very curious curio shop. She's a co-host at Damn You, Uncle Lewis, and she's got a box full of robies sitting on her desk right now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and my GNCs, wherever you may be, please put your hands together for Ms. Maya Murphy! 
uh, which is so, so exciting. Very happy to be here. Not Canadian, though. I'm American and mean. Well, that's okay. It's Canadian Appreciation Month, so we have to make the Canadian involved feel super special, and we can't do that by having tons of Canadians scattered around. So when we have a super special Canadian here today representing his country, he is, no pressure, he is... (laughs) A writer for Bloody Disgusting. He is one half of the Harquears podcast sensation, and he's, I'm delighted that he's here right now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and my geniuses, wherever you may be, please get out of your seat and tip your tiara to Mr. Joe Lipset. Hello. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to, I guess, represent my entire country. All of it. We're right. all watching. All of <laughs> the eyes of the world are on me. Got it. Okay. Yes. I mean, all the American queer horror fans, so yeah, it's a subset. Oh, okay, so ten people. Got it. <laughs> and three of them are here. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> Oh, so welcome back to the show, Joe. It's been a while. Indeed, yeah. I was trying to think back, and the last time we chatted, it was a great movie, Demons. Demons. Yes. And this time, it's a great movie, so clearly, you've got something in the water. And that's what we did last time I was here, was something in the water, wasn't it, Patrick? <laughs> the, the, the Shape of Water, also <laughs> with, with Stephen Hewlett. <laughs> nice, okay. Okay, yeah, that, that's the connection, that's the connection. Uh, actually, Joe, Joe, I have to make a confession. Don't tell me you didn't like this movie. I lured you here under false pretenses. Oh, God. We did the lure. We also did the lure. Yes, thank you, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) I won't stop. I'm always like this. I'm not sorry. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm doing this subconsciously. I'm making all these these references subconsciously. No, really, Joe, we're not here to talk about the movie Pin and all. Oh, God. Wait, why are we here? We're here to talk about Trace. Oh, okay. It's just a dish <laughs> no, session, no, is what no, you're saying. No, no. <laughs> All right, what do you want to know? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> All right, we'll start with the butt plugs and we'll work our way up. Okay. For those of you who don't know, Joe, who is Trace? Who are the horror queers? What am I talking about? Fill us in. <laughs> like a butt plug. So Trace Thurman is my co-host on Horror Queers. And yeah, we host a weekly show that's dedicated to queer horror. You know, we're we're coming in late to the game compared to certain other podcasters. But uh, yeah, so we, we like to talk about camp. We like to talk about queer representation. And occasionally we make a lot of dirty sexual references. So, you know, it's a win-win-win for everybody. It's really a perfect balance. It's a perfect balance of things. You know, insight, arts, sex, smut. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Lots of smut. Smut. So the movie that we're here to talk about today is a little ditty called Pin from 1988. Neither one of you had seen this before. No. Wow. Uh, I had only seen it maybe mm, five or six years ago. And it's one of those ones, every time somebody puts out those 10 10 best horror movies you've never seen, it's always on it. And I have a special connection to this movie because I had the book. Oh. When I was a kid. I was I wanted I, I have questions. I have questions. Well, I can't answer much because it was confiscated by Sister Ruth Ann in the second grade. Because the cover was lurid. Great, you're gonna get in trouble. Reading about anatomically correct penis. Well <laughs> Some of us had to watch Star Trek for that, Patrick. Oh, oh, oh all I remember was the book cover. The the tagline for the book was Brother, sister, madness, sin, now the playtime shall begin. 
that and I'm so one look at that I was like yank so I don't know how it ended I don't know how it went I do remember being a lot sleazier than this movie is that makes sense considering who the author is and looking at the tropes that I started to brace for at the beginning of the movie that never came to fruition uh, that doesn't surprise me yes Joe who's the author since you mentioned oh gosh uh, now you're putting me on the spot I oh well you, he brought, it's, it's, it's Andrew Niederman there we go. Yes. But of course, folks who are fans of VC Andrews will know that he took over as her pseudonym after she died. She's been more prolific dead than she was alive. She's a very gifted woman. Yeah, I mean, she's like Tom Clancy or James Patterson in that way. Yeah, he's also um, his most famous novel is, of course, The, the Devil's Advocate was made into the movie with Al Pacino and also uh, wrote the book that Sisters was based on, Brian De Palma's Sisters, which I did not know going into this. He's super prolific. But anyway... Mm-hmm. Oh, before we go a step further, we do have that little game that we like to play here on Scream Queens. And Maya, you've been here so often. I'm not going to ask you to do it this time around. So, Joe, Mm -hmm. for Canada, I need you to give me a nice, tight, 30-second, back-of-the-DVD cover plot summary of the movie pin. The clock starts now! Okay, so this is about brother and sister who learn that the anatomically correct dummy in their dad's office is actually maybe alive, but also not because the brother takes on its personality. He thinks that it's talking to him. He's in love with his sister. He tries to kill her boyfriend, and then she ends up beaning him with an axe, and he takes over the dummy's persona by the end. B? Run it up, Stolt! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the DVD's out of print, so we can put back that on the back of the DVD. It's shockingly out of print. Maya, do you have anything that you want to add to that 30 seconds? Uh, not that will fit in a tight 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Roby? I thought Roby was in everything Canadian. <laughs> yeah, oh my where, God. where is Roby? Where is... I don't know. Uh, uh, Alanis, I'm sorry. I know other Canadians, I swear. I'm not Canadian racist. Can you imagine Roby in the role of the sister, though? No, please don't make me imagine that. This 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 actress was so good, and she's still working, and Roby, I love her. (laughs) Not not working quite as much. (laughs) Hey, she's got that mansion down south. <laughs> she does she, she's she was what like a, a duchess or something for a while there something crazy like that yeah she married she married british royalty so yes yeah, we're not are we talking about roby save it save it for damian wonka lewis kids come on now uh, i'm just thinking like it, she, she would have been thwarted if he was like at some point he was like uh and for dinner i made roast beef and a pineapple upside down <laughs> <laughs> a pineapple i've never pineapple, seen it that? before <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah so this this movie, I think, is fascinating because it does not go anywhere you think it's going to go in the way you expect a movie of this time is going to go. To be fair, when I first saw it, I was tipped off that it was a sci-fi kind of thriller. Oh. Sci-fi? Is that just because David Hewlett has been in a bunch of sci-fi movies? Stargate. I don't know where. I don't know what. You know what? It was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was probably even before I started the podcast. So that's when dinosaurs were still roaming the earth. You know, it was just me, Harvey Feinstein, and a brontosaurus hanging out talking about <laughs> movies. <laughs> but, no, so the first time I watched it, I thought there's a certain kind of 70s kind of sci-fi where everything's normal, but with one sci-fi element to it. Like I'm thinking like uh, Dean Koontz's Demon Seed, something like that. This, like this uh, super okay. intelligent computer in this normal house that's doing extreme things. So I just thought, okay, there's this, this, this is totally normal family. Well, not normal, but you know what I mean, Rick. 
family with a doctor. I want to talk about that family. Yeah, I know, but I mean, I'm just saying, it's just like your standard family and a standard house could be anywhere, but they just happen to have this anatomical dummy that talks. That's just what it is. It's some sort of sentient thing. I did, thought that was going to be. So I didn't get half the movie the first time I saw it, but it was still scary. I'm like, oh, oh, it's a ventriloquist. Okay, I'm babbling. I'm babbling. First of all, think in 1988, you got a movie with a big, creepy looking doll in it. What do you expect going to happen? Uh, doll's going to animate, go on a murder spree. We're going to go full-size Chucky. Um, Chop up teenagers and spout one-liners. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get that. And be, yeah. like, really rapey for no reason. Uh, we do get a little bit of that. The opposite. We're going to yeah. we're gonna sexually, sexually molest the inanimate object for once. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> doll's rights. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, uh. Sorry, you got me stuck in that. I I'm like, broke oh, wow. Patrick. <laughs> wow, wow. So I'm like, He's would the reset. doctor have had to come in and like ventriloquize a consent? Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah wh- whoever that? is currently voicing Pin can come in and give Pin consent, but the the doll they built, because it's 3D, it's like those paintings where the eyes follow you around the room because just the, the shape of eyeballs being round make it look like it's looking at you. So it's always staring very intently and it's not hard at all to project life and personality onto pin watching the video absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. and the other thing that people would expect it's 1988 or or whatever was made we're actually being shot in 1986 87 like the tipper gore and the the sensors hadn't started cracking down yet i'm expecting a gore fest at least you don't get it you don't get a drop of blood in this not (laughs) just barely well, and we, we do. We get one drop of blood and it goes right. on the carpet. It's going to be a clue. Mm-hmm. One, one could maybe argue that this is skewing towards the Canadian kind of classic territory. Like, uh, I think it's important to note that this was in production at the same time as like David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. And mm. this is like classy Canadian horror. Like, it's not when the Americans like to come into our country and make <laughs> sleazy slasher movies. This is like high high quality like it's a slow burn mm-hmm. mm. well i just love the whole mood of the movie like the whole the whole mood of this family in this house it's like welcome to antiseptic acres yes it's so weird and they're doing that white people waspy old money everyone wearing anachronistic off-white colors it it looks like the fifties kind of, and we take tea on the furniture out of the lawn in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So and uh, we don't talk during tea during. And, we don't talk the during lawn tea. The, we no, we ignore each other. And starting uh, starting out with the children, uh, that I guess not quite the beginning of the movie, but they're like this little matching doll set, and they have their little labeled matching accessories in the home, and it's like. It's like the way the kids are in Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. Yes, but this isn't cute. No, it's not cute. It is unsettling from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, they're moving in unison. They, they drink their milk in unison. It's creepy. It's creepy from the start because we've got some parents with issues. We've got this emotionally absent dad and this controlling neat freak of a mom. Patrick, there's plastic on the furniture. To keep it to neat, keep and it neat and clean. That's honestly that tells you everything you need to know about this mom. I would have loved to have gotten a little bit more screen time with her, but just yeah. the way that she has decorated and the way that she is protecting that furniture, you're like, oh, I know exactly who this woman is. I don't even need more. I would like more. We had plastic on our furniture. No, I see, I see a lot of my family in this family. Unfortunately, right. It was my bits. dad's aunt. She was little the bits. one with the the plastic. 
my see my parents oh we started middle class and then my dad got a really good job at the newspaper and became a vp oh see so you were new and, money oh we were new money and yeah so we had i talked about this on the swallow episode we did an episode on that movie swallow we had the intimidation living room mm-hmm this living room that nobody went in, it's never used, the furniture is covered in plastic, except when company is coming over that we want to impress or intimidate, and then the plastic comes off the furniture. And then you can go in there, but you can't eat, you can't drink. The only times you had any kind of meeting in there was when somebody needed to be intimidated. For instance, the living room would be decorated for Christmas, the tree would be up and everything, but we never went in there. That's not where Christmas was celebrated. That's not where we opened presents. God forbid you got wrapping paper on the floor, except if somebody came over. If if, if relatives or friends that knew my parents when they didn't have a lot of money came over, then we were in the other living room to make them feel inferior. It was just all gross. It was gross. That's yep. so odd. It's like, uh-huh. let's, let's have an entire room in a house that we don't use except to impress people. And you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, that is so bougie. That's so waspy. No, the That's dining so room no one dines in unless it's a holiday yeah. and there's company. Yeah. And call it the living room <laughs> where there's no life whatsoever. Right. Tell, uh, this cast is amazing, too. I love this cast. Fantastic yes. kids. And topping it, topping it off is an American, of course. That's how you get the movie made in Canada. You gotta get the American in to get the budget. Yeah, get the movie made. Terry O'Quinn. So good. So good. So good. Early Terry O'Quinn, too, which I always enjoy, too. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I was just staring at his face being like, it's so smooth. Mm-hmm. I forgot <laughs> you used to look different. Even a touch yeah. of hair. What? There was uh-huh. hair? Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Of course, I'm going, I've seen your penis. Have you? In a movie or real life? The Stepfather. Right. Okay. The opening but, shot. I mean, I, be, I was baiting you to see whether or not you would, you know... Don't, don't bait me with penis. <laughs> Said no gay man ever. Come on. <laughs> don't bait me with penis unless you expect me to start snapping. <laughs> there we go. There it is. Okay. Maya's like, face is doing that thing where it gets really small and really wide. <laughs> For those of you who can't hear my face, I'm filming some video content today. And I may have accentuated its muppetiness for comedic effect on the content I'm producing. So all the faces uh, okay. I'm making at Patrick are like times 10 today. I think we just call that serving face. Oh, yeah. Oh, there it is. Yes, yes. Audio podcast. Nobody cares. <laughs> Hear my eye mic up. Hear it. Anyways. So, okay. So I got excited. I started us off talking about the children of the movie, but that's not the beginning of the movie. We open up with like a... E.T. group of kids very much set in the 80s, and I love the costume design in this. The All the wardrobe pieces are very telling, but we're working very hard to establish uh, modern day 1988. Kids are wearing like denim and baseball hats, and they're doing the thing where there's like four of them staring at the house that is the creepy thing. That, oh, you go in there, you go in there. Well, I heard it was this. I heard it was that. Like they're all telling the, the monkey's paw or what have you. Yeah, it's setting it up almost like it's an urban legend, right? Yeah. Like, this is the house that nobody goes into. It's yeah. the park house, the yeah, bad that's, place. Exactly. Every every town has one. It's the house that everybody talks about. <laughs> you know, you don't go over there. You don't play on that lawn. I know, the, I know the, the lake is right there. You can't, no, just don't go there. Why, what, what's the problem with the house? What's so creepy about it? There's a spooky maybe mannequin in the window. Is he a mannequin? Is he paralyzed? Well, you know, if he's paralyzed, then he would move above the neck. But he's not doing that. He's just in the window all day. Which I do love, and then I immediately forgot. So by the end of the movie, when it comes around to who and what is in the window, I was like, oh, you're a big dum-dum. They told you this <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> I had one of those as well, if it makes you feel any better. 
a little bit. It doesn't. It, it doesn't help. If, 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 even when you know it's coming, it's like it's still like Ugh, this is. A, mm-hmm. One of the things that's masterful about this movie, it has this incredible sense of unease. Yes. 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 And yes. dread to it, even when nothing's happening, you're just never comfortable. There's always a slow movement in the camera. I mean, some of the audio design uh, suffers from that '80s of like, but the the weird, ever present synth just going. Mm-hmm. In the back of your brain, it's like, yeah, just say it. It feels like we're just constantly being cued to expect something terrible to happen, which I love because in this movie, very few terrible things happen. Like, it's actually a very slow, very deliberately paced film. Yeah. So I love this idea that we're just constantly on, like, we're uneasy the entire runtime. I will double down on that. I say, I, I'm going to say you're constantly being prepped for something awful to happen. And the thing is, you get conditioned after a while. There's a thousand little awful things mm-hmm. happening all the time that are incremental. Yeah. Yes. And it is in a certain way, it, you almost get numb to it. Yeah, it's, well, now I've made this much room in my head for this character behave this way, and I can make room for that. Don't <laughs> make room for that. That's creepy and weird. That's, that's bad behavior. And I'm glad you brought it up, Maya, because I normally hate synthesizer scores. This score is wonderful. It's this is very non-interesting. Joe, as we always refer, as we talk about all the time on um, when we're talking about Friday the Thirteenth series on the other show, that soundtrack is like somebody putting their elbows on the keyboards. <laughs> it's just so. It, it's very much like I'm going to tell you exactly how you're going to feel because I don't trust that you're going to take it away. Like I, I love Friday the Thirteenth the series, yeah, but it's also like it thinks the audience is stupid a lot of the time. And also, it's like, I don't want to commit to any sequence of notes or tune. No. So I'm just kind of hitting buttons. It's a lot of mashing. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. recognizable But theme. this was very deliberate and very musical, yes. and but also cold and antiseptic, cold. which is exactly oh, what yeah. this movie Steely needs. Steely cold. Yeah. Yeah. It's great at setting the tone in that. What I, what I find interesting, because it doesn't bother me at all, one of the things that people get really freaked out about, is particularly in these early scenes, are the kids just openly and calmly talking about sex. How did you like Finn's lecture? Oh, Marsha Bateman already told me all that stuff. But not about the need. Do you think mother and father ever have the need? They must. We're here, aren't we? So hard to picture. I'll bet you before they do it, mother washes his penis with spick and span. (laughs) Um, I can tell you that Canadian films in general have like this tradition. Like there's a there's a very well-known academic text that's called Weird Sex and Snowshoes. And it's all about like how Canadian films, we, we do this kind of like antiseptic, but also uncomfortable sexuality, like kids talking about sex, having sex with corpses, these kinds of things. It's like a staple of Canadian cinema. So this is like dead on. Like the minute that we saw these kids having weird conversations about sex, I was like, oh yeah, it's Canadian cinema through and through. But that's the thing, that didn't, that, which I, also you just blew my mind with that title. You said that title and I heard nothing after what you said, so I'll have to <laughs> We'll enjoy the edit then. <laughs> but um, uh, the fact that they're talking about sex, but it's clinical? Yes. And it's accurate. They actually know what they're talking about because mm-hmm. they've been educated properly, which of course is going to freak out an American. Oh, yeah. We're not legally allowed to do that in most states. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this. I posted, this movie got me thinking about all these things from my youth that were like these, like like Pin, this thing that was supposed to be educational, which is really horrifying. And uh, I posted something earlier today about uh, these models that they used to make, uh, the Visible Man and the Visible Woman. Yeah. 
and it was just this little mall. You could put it together, and you could take the skin off, and it had the organs you could take in and out and stuff like that. Of course, the genitalia cost extra. Oh, uh, as it often does. A- yeah. ask, ask for the miracle of life expansion pack. <laughs> so you had to actually pay extra to make sure that your kids got the correct anatomical stuff. Like, you went through all the trouble of buying your kid this anatomical dummy, but it's missing certain organs that you have deemed naughty. But that's America for you. So it was refreshing to see kids talking about sex, not afraid to talk about sex, and knowing what they were talking about. One of the things that I love about this movie is I st- I'm dreading for Ursula, like, the second I laid eyes on her as a kid. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen to that little girl, but I don't think anything good is going to happen to that oh, little girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was ready for every rapey slasher version of what happens to Ursula, and I was bracing for it. And then when I watched it a second time, because I knew what I knew about Ursula, I would just had, oh, no, Patrick. Yeah, but soon as we soon as we started the movie, I was bracing for every rapey slasher version of what would happen to Ursula, and I was terrified. Uh, and then in my second rewatch, the one where I took notes, um, I loved watching her arc because I felt so much safer paying attention to her. One of my favorite bits with her was her in bed, and she's just like calmly flipping through pornography. <laughs> yeah. God. Do you look at this? Do you think I'll ever look like this? Do you think mother looks like this? And I love that they went to such an effort to do a bad insert shot of the the porn she's looking at to clarify we did not expose these children to porn. Here is your insert shot. No children were harmed in the making <laughs> of this film, except they're probably still fucking scarred for life. <laughs> They're fine. They're still working. They're fine. They're this doing great. They have great fine. Career, both of them. fine in Hollywood. <laughs> She's just flipping through the thing, flipping the book, commenting on boobs. Do you think mom's boobs are like this? Do you think mom <laughs> looks like this? Do you think this other woman looks like this? Do you think I'll look so like this? And he's like, they're not breasts. They're just fat. Not untrue. Okay. Well, no. It, all breasts are just fat. <laughs> Unless they're silicone, which is fine. You do you. But right. like... They're all they're all fat, buddy. Yeah, but Marsha Bateman is a pig. <laughs> oh yeah, Mar- Marsha Bateman is a pig. Oh poor Marsha, she is the rawest deal in this movie. Helene Yudi, Canadian royalty of film. <laughs> she's she's wonderful. Inserting this at a later time because we forgot to do it during the show. But Helene Yudi, most famous for My Bloody Valentine, she played Sylvia, the one who got hung up on the shower thing. Uh, but she was also in The Incubus, Dead Zone, had a huge long run, the whole series for Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, which I know was a launching point for many of my lesbolicious sisters when they were young. And uh, has even done a David Ducato film, Thirteen, Thirteen, Frank and Queen. Does that mean you've arrived or does that mean... I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. It means those guys in their underpants taking showers in their underpants. That's all I know what it means. Back to the show. And everything. And they... <laughs> Would you like to be a part of our movie? I'm just going to terrorize you a bit. Yeah, you're going to have a crush on a guy. He's going to kill some people. Not you, but like this much. Uh, And you have to show your boobs. Sound good. Okay, cool. Hey, it's Helene Yudi. She's doing fine. (laughs) This is what you do. I know we don't want to jump ahead, but that that scene is maybe one of my favorite in the entire film. The Marshall scene. It's fantastic. So good. Yeah. One of the things that when I watched the second time, I realized, oh, that girl getting terrorized at the end, Helen and Unity, that's Marsha. That's Ursula's friend, Marsha, that they've been talking about since the beginning. 
Yeah. Ursula has one friend. <laughs> well, and I which think- is which is exactly one more than Leon does. <laughs> one oh, than more than Leon, Leon has. has. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think part of it is that you're you're meant to look at this as a small town that no one escapes from. So it's like everybody knows everybody's business and nobody yeah. gets away. So it's like you're just going to grow up and move into your parents' roles. Yeah. And these kids in particular, they're in this small town where you never leave and everybody knows everybody, except they are completely cut off. Yes. Like you can tell, like you, the little bits that you get of the, the... Well, they make an effort to show the house is up on a hill. It's mm-hmm. separated from other people. Yep. When we see the kids in school, they dress differently and act differently than everyone else in the school. And then we also have that scene... Yeah, don't don't ask him to play with us. He's, gonna, he's afraid he'll get dirty. <laughs> and then we also have the scene his mom where... Will kick uh, his ass. Dr. Dad wants Leon to apply to college. Not in this town. Get out of the town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the idea that the dad recognizes that the town is a dead end, even though yeah. he is literally the town doctor, which is like maybe the highest position you could hold apart from mayor. He's like, yeah. oh, this place is dead. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I think also he knows on some level that his kids are fucked up. Like, you actually do need to get out of here. Yes. I you don't agree have any with that. friends. If you're going to be a normal person, you're going to have to get out of this town. We've been too strict with you or whatever. Well, what I wanted to know about the book, which I guess we'll never know now, um, is if there was more backstory for the mother. I was wondering mm. if perhaps Leon's mental condition was passed down from her. Hereditary. Because we, we spend a lot of time talking about shielding her from information. Because she won't handle yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I was surprised that we didn't get like a drinking problem or something from her. She just seems to be a neat freak, but really there isn't any information. Uh, yeah, I had friends, moms like that that would follow you around with a vacuum cleaner. Terrifying. Oh. You, that's what I mean. Like those kids, if you went to that house once, you wouldn't go back. No. Yeah, you had that. No. Te- you had the team where she was like, where she found like a cookie or something on the floor, and she's like, "Is that your friend?" And then your friend was over. Well, he looks dirty and diseased. Do you think I have nothing better to do with my time than clean up after you and your friends? I'll clean it up. Never mind. That new friend of yours, the Allison boy. He looks dirty and uh, diseased. I don't want you bringing him in this house again. Why don't you just sterilize him at the door? You made me do that, Leon. And I, but the thing is, what I think is interesting with Leon, as it turns out, because Leon is the one who's extremely fucked up, is uh, he, his mental illness does seem to be a nice pairing of both of them. You see the scars of both parents. Oh, yeah. On nice and what I thought was interesting, uh, the director, uh, the director, um, um, Sandor Stern? Is that it? Yeah. Sandor Stern, who also wrote the original script for the 1978 version of the Amityville Horror and wrote and directed the Amityville Horror Curse, the one with the haunted lamp. He said he was interested in this project, the script, because he was a doctor previously, and he was always fascinated by his paranoid schizophrenic patients, particularly ones where you had two siblings who grew up in the same house under the same conditions, and one is a paranoid schizophrenic, and one is not. Yeah. And that's exactly what you get in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, basically, Ursula is the, she ends up coming out relatively well-adjusted, and it's like all of the psychosis, all of the negativity, all of the mental illness just ends up falling onto poor Leon. And I think one of the things I really enjoyed about the film is ultimately the sibling relationship. Like, I know we're meant to think that it's creepy how much Leon wants to fuck her. But at the same time, I love how much she loves him and wants to protect him because that felt like a really authentic 
relationship to me. I agree. Not yeah, the Leon was, stuff. The Ursula it stuff. was so organic. Um, Even the stuff with Leon, like you said, like that he wants to fuck her. On some level, yeah, but on some other level, no, I don't think no. he knows what to do with sex at all. Like he, like yeah, okay. he's almost asexual. He, he, he's been. He's been, I, like, I he, would he's, go past that. I would say he's sex averse. Um, right. Okay. Uh, thank you. Just, thank you. That's actually I had wrote in my notes. I wrote repulsion, as in the movie by Roman Polanski, repulsion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my notes. Uh, and and we get into that when um when he reads us his poetry and he talks about the hero and his poetry and his hero just goes the hero testes. The hero testes. I testes. I was convinced really? I misheard that and I wasn't no. I wasn't sure. Poor Leon. That that moment is just so cringe. And you're like, oh, it's it's really crystal. No, it transports me back to high school and listening to my friends fanfic about how they're actually like werewolves and like, oh god, no, don't share this with me, please. Yeah, no, keep this in a private drawer, never show it to anyone. <laughs> it's fine that you have it. I don't want to know. It's his vocation. Either that Cooking or is not my vocation. This is his job now. <laughs> He's like, I have a job. I'm a poet. I'm like, but no, you don't let anybody read it. That's not a job, you idiot. This no, jerk no. it off. He's, gonna, off he's, he's not going to be a hack author, Patrick. No. I mean, the, the real trick is you name those characters after Twilight characters, and then you make millions of dollars. That's yeah. that's how you go about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we can go on the yeah. theft but, of, yeah. of fan content later. That's That's a long discussion. One of the things I'd love to, particularly I think with the second set of kids, because you get them when they're very young, and then you get them, you know, eight or nine, and then you get them as adults and teenagers. But teenagers, a- teenagers, yeah, the, yeah, they're fifteen. Sorry, I'm fine. They gotta be hot, Maya. Come on, you can't cast age appropriate. They, they were have to do pretty heavy things. We got t- some broad shoulders for for teenagers, but okay. Broad, glorious Canadian shoulders. Thank you very much, Maya. It's all the better to carry a dummy around. All the better to carry a dummy around. Look, it was the 80s. It was also about shoulder pads. Everybody looked 30 years older than they did. It was <laughs> helmet hair. It was all that thing. But um, uh, the boy, I thought was fascinating. The middle, the middle boy. Yes. There, there, was something, um, there was something prissy about him. Yes. That was creepy and endearing. Like, like uh, the whole thing is, we haven't really explained this very well. Pin is the anatomical dummy that lives in his dad's office. His dad is a pediatrician. He uses Pin to explain difficult things to the kids. Or through ventriloquism. Through ventriloquism. Or by making the doctor's experience less scary, because now they have this little friend, even though it's creepy and he has no skin. And we get an example of this at the top of the movie where they're talking about, uh, I think Leon has a lung infection? No, a kid, a kid. No, there's a kid. There's a. This is weird. There was a patient kid in there. Oh, who had my the bad. Flu. Right. Yeah. And so there's this kid in there with 103.2 <laughs> degree fever, and he's like, "I'm gonna have my kids in here with this highly infectious kid. It's all right." And it's and like, it's free there's a conversation <laughs> between Doctor Dad and Pin, like placing bets on how high the kid's fever is. I think we have another case of the flu here, Doctor. Pin. It's very hard to hear a heartbeat when someone is talking. Sorry, doctor, but I'll wager this boy has a temperature of at least 104. How much would you like to wager? How about a wool sweater? It gets cold sitting here naked all the time. It's a bet. It's it's a little odd, Dr. Dad's a little odd. It's a little odd, but it also works. And also, I see this is, is Dad's way of dealing with his own emotional 
stuntedness. He yeah. can have Pin say things that he can't. Oh, yeah. He can have Pin talk about the difficult things like sex education that he can't do himself, but he can have Pin do it for him. So it's an interesting way of him for dealing with his problem. Yeah. It, it's almost weirdly schizophrenic. Like, I know I'm using that term inappropriately, but in a way, Dr. Dad has split his own personality. He's yeah. cold and clinical as a doctor, and then he's got, like, his emotional output can get put onto the dummy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, he's dissociating from whatever's going on. Yeah. Yes, yes, dissociative. That's yeah, so what happens as a result of this is that when it comes to the kids, they live in this cold, icy house with cold, icy people, and the only warmth and humor that they ever get is from Pin. And, and from we sharing actually, a bed with one another. Well, I don't know. No, I don't think so, because they, they I, said, I don't they, think they so. said the girls were just, the hanging, out looking they were just at hanging out looking porn. at pornography together. Like they right. did. The way you do. Um, but also, we celebrate a birthday. We celebrate one of Ursula's birthdays when she is very young, and Dr. Dad has a gift from him and a gift from Pin. Mm, yeah. And Leon is so fixed on to Pin that he goes, well, which one's from Pin? His dad's like, the one in the blue paper. And he's like, open that one first. And it's, uh, it's a pretty ballerina, and she's ceramic, and when you twist her, she plays music. And... We establish in the same scene with the kid with the lung problem that Ursula understands what's going on. She turns to watch her dad do the ventriloquist thing, and mm. Leon is just wrapped, staring yeah. at Pin. And we establish this from the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Ursula is clued into what is going on, and Leon has no idea. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't talk about it because it's obvious, right? It's just dad, right? You get it's that. It's just dad, right? Right. But the thing Look is, at, Pin gave you this great birthday gift. Look at what it does. We never find out why, what his parents, what the parents got for Ursula for the birthday because it doesn't matter because Pin got matter. the best thing ever. Pin mm. gives the best gifts because it makes sense because Pin is more connected to the kids than the fucking parents or even though they're the same people. But the kid, that boy, the boy playing Leon is so enwrapped with that ballerina music box. I'm going, oh, yeah. When we cut to the scene where Ursula's reading the pornography, he's got the music box. It's beautiful. <laughs> like it was his gift. Yeah. It's creepy. Yeah. Do you think that's because he, he wants that emotional connection to one of his parents? Like he's not going to get it from his mom, so he's trying to get it from his dad, but he won't ever get that from the dad, so he gets it from surrogate dad, a.k.a. Pin. Uh, we're going to build on the surrogate dad theme as we go on with the design in the movie. Yeah, to the weirdness, the kid... Is sitting in bed with the music box, gushing over the music box, while his sister's flipping through pornography looking at girls' boobs. <laughs> so I love it's, it. It's like such a gender reversal. I love it, too. I love it, too. And the fact that they start talking about boobs, and he said, she says, Marsha Bateman's getting boobs. You know, Marsha's already growing breasts. Those aren't breasts. That's fat. Marsha's a pig. She happens to be my friend. Your friend's a pig. Like, the look at his face is, like, so disgusted and revolted by the idea. <laughs> like, he just spit in his food. Oh, oh, God, no, those are boobs. It's a flash. Which is funny, though, because... It's just you... fat. It's just fat. Marsha Bateman is a pig. <laughs> she really is a pig. Yeah. She really is a pig. I... Look at her hair. It's funny, though, when you read reviews <laughs> of pony. this, people like to reference the scene where he observes the nurse fornicating with Pin oh, as, we like, talked the about moment yet. of his crisis. Like, oh, this is the moment that fucks him up. And I'm like... He's fucked up well before that. That's just like the confirmation. Like I said, there are so many little teeny tiny mountains. Like you were like, saying, it's death by a thousand cuts. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah we, we didn't talk about that. 
he he sneaks into the doctor's office to talk to Pin because Pin's the only person he can talk to. But they're and not allowed to. Pin's not allowed to talk to them when the doctor's not there. There's rules. Because he can't. Because it's ventriloquism. So he hears a nurse walking up into the room to put some equipment away, and he goes, "Oh no, I'm not supposed to be here." And he hides behind the privacy screen, Love and it. this nurse. I loved how they set this up. Pin is yes. normally sitting in a chair. She walks over and adjusts his head so you see more of the neck muscle, and they just establish this visual metaphor of you know what other muscles are going to be pliable. Mm-hmm. She carries him over to the examination table and, like, fucks herself with this doll on it's top so of herself, good. and his head is twisted to the side, and his lifelike eyes are just staring through the screen at Leon, and mm-hmm. it's truly awful. Yeah. But also, also amazing. It's amazing. amazing. No, it's compelling. I loved it. I loved this movie. And not exploitive at all. It's about as tasteful as you can do a scene like this. Mm -hmm. It's as tasteful as you can do. The only time we see boobs in this movie, it's because boobs are being offered to the protagonist and we're trying to show what's going on. But we're going to get to those boobs. I'm sorry. Two boobs. Boobs in the porno magazine. Boobs in the plot point. All of them necessary. And more importantly, all of them rejected by Leon. I'll yeah. confess that I was I was very bewildered at her choice of sex position because it seemed like it would have been more difficult for her to fuck pin in this way than being on top, but I think it's more tasteful. I, I think it's more tasteful, and I think it makes pin look more helpless yes. to just be ragdoll on top of her going, why, why? Oh, yeah, he's being exploited, and I think that's that's where Leon... It, this is death by a thousand cuts, but this mm. is like the, the big moment because for Leon, this is Pin being violated yes. by this disgusting woman. Yes, disgusting. A, a, an act that he probably doesn't understand. Like, yeah, but he might not. They might have had to talk about the need. But well, this, what is this she is doing? After what the scene that? where Ursula like whips off the sheet that covers Pin's anatomically again penis, delightful right? scene. Well, he's like. Well, where, where it's, it's time for them to learn about sex education, and Penn is doing it, of course. You're both reaching an age where changes will occur in your attitude towards the opposite sex. The reason is to prepare you to be mothers and fathers. If you didn't become mothers and fathers, there wouldn't be babies and the human race would disappear. Nature can't allow that. So she equips each of us with a biological need to join together and create new life. And that is why just as people get thirsty for water, they get thirsty for sex. Do you have any questions before I continue? Does every single person have a need? If they're normal, they do. Any more questions? All right. Let's begin with the male sexual apparatus. Leon, please come up and take off my towel. And he's like, I can't, oh, I can't, oh, I can't, oh. And it's like, I'll do it. She's so excited. Leon, take the towel off my lap. Leon, do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. And she just lifts up the towel and she like giggles. Ah, loved it. It's a perfect reaction. It's a total normal kid reaction too. Because let's face it, dicks are weird looking. Oh, no, <laughs> as as an adult, I will I will attest. Penises are very silly. Uh, <laughs> not getting over that. You look like Gonzo down there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how it is. So it is. Notice I said you look like Gonzo. <laughs> I was gonna say, are you looking at me? How do you know? 
It's it's the hook. It gives it away. Trace, 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 Trace. Can't keep his mouth shut. And the scene after that, too, where they're talking about sex. Do you think mom has the need? Do you think dad gets the need? And she's like, do you ever get the need, Leon? Do you ever have the need, Leon? No, I'm not old enough. Can't wait to be old enough. I think I'm really going to like it. I think I'm really going to like it. <laughs> right on, girl. I love that. Right on. And I love right all of her agency through yeah. this movie. She's sex positive. She's sex yeah. positive. I love it. Until it goes negative, um, but we'll come back to that. Yeah. yeah. I also want to make a point to talk about the the scene where she's looking at porn that we keep coming back to. I wonder why. Um, they get caught. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They get caught because oh, yeah, they're sure, making yeah. noise. Um, she, she starts, ah, what does the fight start about? She she calls she calls Pin a dummy. You know what I wish? I wish Pin could come here and live with us. The father wouldn't let him. He's an office dummy. Don't you ever call him that! Yes. And Leon slaps, slaps her in the her. face, gets very upset. Don't you ever call him that? And that's when their mom comes to check on them. That's when she gets caught with the porn. That's why they get the sex talk. Right. We just yeah. sorry. I just wanted to talk about. Leon's personal connection to Pin's personhood. Yeah, and you could also trace that slap to the movie too. Yes. Yeah. The mother slaps him on the staircase. Yes. When when she when she says, uh, "Is that your dirty friend or dirty deceased friend?" She goes, "I don't know. Why don't you just like sterilize him when he comes to the door?" Whack. <laughs> that that slap keeps coming back too. Yeah. Yeah. So just see where he learned everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And they don't point it out. It's not like, look at this, look at this, look at this. It's just all presented quite nicely no, on the plate. I found all of this to be very thoughtfully crafted. And I have mm-hmm. I have notes about more things we haven't gotten to yet. I would like to take a moment to talk about the star of our film. David Hewlett. David Hewlett. He's David so Hewlett. Like, I'm used to seeing him as an older gentleman with a, a little bit more wear and tear on the tire. And yeah. he is kind of fucking gorgeous in this movie. I, I, he's, he's, he's adorable. He looks so much better than he did in Friday the 13th, the series, Maya. <laughs> With those dummy teeth. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of you during the movie because I'm going, up. Oh, this is this headshot. Yep, yep, yep we got headshot. there right at My the end of the movie. My favorite thing in the whole world is when actors' headshots trip. wind up in the movie, <laughs> passing his regular photos. Headshots as props. Headshots as props. I mean, but no, I think he's fantastic. And, you know, he's, if you don't know who he is, he was, he was in Cube. He was in um, uh, Stargate. Atlantis, Stargate SG-1, uh, Shape of Water. It, he just did a two-episode stint on Murdoch Mysteries. That was incredible. Hmm. Yeah, it, I just, it's shocking. Almost, like, so many people from this film are still actively working. Like, oh, yeah. doing good work. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah, I, 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 just want, I just want to rant about this one thing. He, he like, he's got a couple of episode arc, and he's this almost comical character. Like, he, he runs that, um, like, the city... Halls and uh, the Hall of Records and shit. So he's all anal retentive and he's all business and everything has to be perfect all the time. And it's a joke until his episode called The Accident, where he's in this horrible car accident while crossing the street, where he's pinned between a streetcar and an automobile. And they figure out if they move either of those things, he's probably going to die. So the whole episode is him processing that. And he's this guy who's all, like I said, business, business, business all the time. Everything's fine. Everything's great. Got to get to work. Got to take care of this. Got to take business. But he's doing that thing that is so great when actors, when you can just see all the other emotion, like the fear and the pain and the angst, keeps swelling up and then he pushes it down. Everything's fine. And it's masterful. 
it's masterful. He's a brilliant actor. And it's great to see him so young. And holding this movie, there's, it's, there's so much nuance to the character, despite his penis haircut. But that was the 80s. But also, we're making an effort to show what a dork he is. He's trying to style himself like his father, not like anyone current at the time. And we establish that when we cut back to the school. When we go to the school dance, we see how other groups of teenagers are dressing themselves. Yeah. He's in a, he's in a jacket and tie. He's in a jacketed tie. He looks like he's going to a country club. And everyone else looks like it's the 80s. We have side ponytails. We have spiky mullets. There's a lot of hairspray. Jackets. Yeah. 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 Well, I think yeah. part of it, the way that I looked at it was it's almost like he's encased in amber. Like he's obviously trying to be his father, but also mm-hmm. he's he's stuck in time. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Very much stuck in time. Uh, I wrote about the anachronism in their outfits. And um, there's this really lovely visual arc as Ursula starts to learn more and pull away from what they learn from their parents. She starts to dress more like it's the 80s. She breaks out of the amber. Well, she's also, like, out in the world, right? Like, yes. she's, I mean, not only having sex with boys in the back seats of cars, um, but you get the impression that she's, like, out and trying to leave the house. Like, she is trying to do what Dr. Dad told Leon to do, like, get out, experience life. And Leon, you get the impression, is, like, he is in the house all the time. Yeah. He doesn't encounter people. Very much. No. no. What else that was interesting, that they only, they, they, they touched on it, but they didn't make a big deal of it. I said, Ursula has the other kind of reaction that you see coming out of a household like this. Something oh, that's so controlling. Rebellion. As soon as you get no, as soon as you get a little control, you go ape shit. Yeah. Oh. You know the freshman frenzy? Get away from Yeah. So she just all of a sudden, once she once she started getting the niche, she was spreading it all over town. It just, it, and not that she's a big slut, but this is just a reaction to being pent up for so long. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, like in the 80s. Hmm. Okay, how best to say this? Um, because I think in one way this film is filtered through Leon's perspective. So the film Mm. almost does present Ursula as a bit of a slut, but then you realize, oh, actually she's being a healthy, sexually active young woman. Like she's actually not being a slut, but because it's coming through Leon's perspective, we're like, oh, she's hooking up with everybody. She's not being safe kind of deal. So it's, it's very interesting that you, like we as an audience have to process that we can't trust everything that we're seeing because it is so often felt, filtered through this perspective. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I think the movie really wants us to come around on that because before the dance, we do see on Leon's locker, uh, if you're looking for a good time, Ursula's yeah. a big slut. Um, yeah. I don't want to have a sister who's a tramp. Oh my God. Even that line, survived, like, it's the 80s. No one says that. As someone who survived high school veracity of graffiti and people who call you sluts because you won't sleep with them are around there is such a reasonable way to have this conversation uh no effort was made no 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 he cracks down with violence and he cracks down with just making her keep this impossible promise that you're never ever going to do this again never going to do that to me again that's mom coming through right oh for sure how many guys have been screwed How many the whole goddamn football team? How many? I'll tell you right now. I don't want a sister who's a tramp. If you ever do it again, you can forget I'm your brother. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh 
there's a, there's a monkey wrench that get thrown that gets thrown into Ursula's social life. What happens? She gets preggers. She sure does. And the first thing Leon wants to talk about is you promised you wouldn't do that anymore, and she tries to explain math and a uterus to him. Yeah. What I also just just to backtrack, just back to that scene in the car where he's yelling at her about this when he's just found her fucking that guy in the backseat. And he's going, How many? How many? How many have there been? How many have there been? How many have there been? The whole football team? She's furious, she's but she crying. don't answer him. She's just, no, she says, no, she's got that face, that rage face on. She's like, I'm not even going to dignify that with the response. And I said, good for you. It's none of his fucking business. Yeah, he's not owed that. Yeah. Why don't you go play with my ballerina thing? God. Yeah, but she's pregnant. And even this was handled with about as much taste as you could possibly do. In a movie, we have a 15-year-old girl who's pregnant who oh, has to ask her so dad for an abortion. It's so uncomfortable. And who has to actually get the abortion from her dad. The moment that broke me was when the dad is still trying to do his educational doctor dad thing. And he invites Leon to watch. And you're just to like, stay what and the watch. fuck? He goes, you might learn something. And it's, oh. Well, educational doctor dad or additional punishment for both of them. Oh, I, I hadn't considered that. That's how I saw it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be punished. Yeah, yeah. Ursula, it's one more pair of eyes on you. They're going to watch it. What a shame you are. And also... You see, see what I'm doing to her? It honestly reminded me of of The Exorcist when we just see how horrific hospitals are. Right. To women. <laughs> they do the spinal yeah. tap and the, the, the CAT scan or whatever it is. Just like, I cannot imagine anything more real life horrifying than that situation. When, when Leon leaves her alone in the room with him and she's just sitting there on the table waiting and waiting and waiting and he just says, Are you frightened? Yes, sir. Good. You won't want to go through this again. I wanted to vomit up my organs. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, because I'm also wondering, what, what are we going to cut to? What are we going to oh, cut yeah, to? Please what don't show it. Please don't show it. Please don't show it. And they, they don't. don't. But we're imagining, Damn. like, Dead Ringers-style stuff, right? <laughs> like, let's bring out the, the mutant oh, lady yeah. part instruments. Yeah, yeah. well, he's going yeah, to be educating her the whole time. And here's the dead uterus. <laughs> Sir, but you know what I mean. Yes. I could see him doing that. Or, yeah. Or having Pin do it. I know. I think that's Dr. Dad stuff. Oh, that's right. Educational yeah. stuff. Pin, mm. Pin would be the one going, don't you feel better? Uh, hello. This is Flame the Gargoyle. Ruler of the night, bringer of pain, and editor of this shitty show. <laughs> yes, I know Mr. Patrick said, oh, I've been editing some of these shows. I have some of the episodes to work at. Oh, my back hurts. Oh, my fans hurts. Oh, blah, 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 blah. For bullshit. It's me. He's lying to you. Then anyway, things got really tense there for a moment. Oh, my goodness. Poor lady on the table and the dad going, hey, sonny boy, watch what I do this. No, 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 no. This is crazy. This is crazy even for me and I'm a gargoyle. So why don't we, uh, you know, so it's kind of making me hungry. Don't ask. Uh, why don't we all just take a little break? I'm going to go get a little snack. And you can listen to this fabulous commercial for the new book by Robert R. Best. Watch what you do. Watch what you say. And fear the moon on New Year's Day. The end of the year draws closer. And the small town of Lakewood suffers a series of vicious animal attacks. High school senior Emily Burns suspects it may be something worse. Something or someone close to her. 
Robert R. Best, author of the Memorial Trilogy, returns with his first new novel in seven years. New Year's Day tells a chilling tale of lonesome nights, menacing shadows, and werewolves. Look for it on Amazon or anywhere you buy books. Watch what you do, watch what you say, and fear the moon on New Year's Day. What I also think is great, when we find out that, that um, uh, Ursula's pregnant, Leon's first reaction is, well, we got to go talk to Penn. And she just starts crying more. And she's like, I come to you with the biggest problem in my life. And you want to talk to Pin? I mean, can you imagine every every significant life problem would be, let's go talk to Pin. And as a person who, like, I, I just couldn't imagine living in that house and being like, no, I don't want to talk to the anatomically correct dummy. I want to have a conversation with a live human being. Yeah. Like, like your friends who insist they're a little psychic, but, but we're going to go talk to a doctor now, right? Like, she, she just is holding out that he might go, okay, this is serious, yeah. and he fails spectacularly. Mm. Well, the, well, except for the fact that what makes this conversation with Penn different than any other conversation with Penn is that Penn starts talking back with Dad and I'm there. Because it's important. He knew Penn would talk because this is really important, Patrick. Yeah. I know. It's no use, Leon. Leon, let's go home. No. I know it'll help us. I'm going. Don't go. Leon is right. The doctor is a truly scientific man. I don't think morality will affect his attitude. You made a mistake, and it must be rectified. Please excuse her, Pen. She's really upset. I understand. I really appreciate your advice. Anytime. You and I have a great deal to talk about. I told you he'd help us. I knew if it was really important that, that he'd talk to us. When did you learn how to do that? Do what? He won't leave us alone. No, no. But this is where you really start, okay, you know, we knew that Leon, there was something off with him or that he, he needed some kind of assistance or help. And this is your confirmation, like, oh no, he has grown into an adult who things will only become worse for him unless he gets some kind of treatment or diagnosis. I understand a lot of people don't take Ursula's side on this. Like she's just enabling him. Yes. But when you're in that situation and you're, what, 15, 16, 17, you don't have the authority to do much about anything. You just try to make do like he's not hurting anybody well, it's the way you'd enable an alzheimer's patient you're not going to re-traumatize them every single time and say no it's 2021 now and do that every day when is it going to be worth her quality of life to pick that fight when i think ultimately like it's it's the children versus the adults right like we're presented with ursula and leon as a pair so she doesn't want to give up the only the real, the family connection that she has because dad's distant and mom is like, who the fuck knows? So I think it makes sense 
for her that she would say, you know what, if I stay, I can help him or I can at least protect him. And I see that throughout the rest of the film, even when you're just like, Jesus Christ, Ursula, say something to anyone. <laughs> Anybody. But again, it's also the it's also it's also the eighties yeah. and you know, mental There's health still a lot of stigma issues. It's still a lot of stigma, but you especially like for rich white people. Your dad's a doctor, and you have to go see another doctor now. Mm. That's it's okay. We got this. It's no big deal. We can keep it in the family. We keep everything else in the family. He's not hurting anybody yet. Hurting anybody yet until until the accident. Oh dear. So I okay. Oh, are, are we at the accident? Can we talk about it? Because I feel like I think we have to do the montage before the accident. The montage of Leon hanging out with Pin and like reading algebra oh, with him. <laughs> oh. It's his best friend. And there's like the happy synth music. Oh my God. Me and you, a two man crew. And that directly leads us, directly leads us to the accident. Yeah, friendship, friendship. That's friendship. perfect. Friendship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I think the only, as much as I like the accident and I like the way it's filmed and I think it's actually surprisingly tense, even though, yeah, like we, we know exactly what's happening, but part of, Part of my struggle, the one thing that I maybe don't like is that this still feels like the film trying to pull the rug out from the audience saying, is Pin alive? Maybe something. Yeah. And I'm like, no, we all know. Come on, it's Leon at this point. Well, honestly, at that point, at that point, my first time through, I'm going, like I said, I always thought it was a sci-fi thing. I'm like, is mm. Pin alive? Well, we've been spending all this time well, together. Does he become alive at some point? I was, I was open to anything, like right. anything yeah. could be possible. Well, especially because Patrick and I spend all this time on Friday the 13th, my, my notes, I have this big question mark, is Pin a cursed object? <laughs> because we, we do end up in that scene and he sits up and the blanket falls off of him and whether it's a combination of Pin being overall creepy, which he is, or Pin representing his unease with his own feelings, or Pin representing the fight he just had with Leon, we only end up in the crash because he... he changes the mirror so pin is no longer visible to him that and speeding horribly um but because he's changed what he can see he ends up missing the signs that the road is blocked ahead which is why the car flips so if it's supposed to just be sins of the father i would have preferred it if pin didn't magically sit up in the back seat i agree with you i did get kind of snagged on this part it was gravity. It was gravity. At least when they sh they showed when they threw him in, when they threw Pin in the back seat, you could see he's still in the sitting position. Yeah. Like he didn't straighten out the legs or anything, so it would make sense he would possibly rock up like this. Again, minor things. And he can also say, like, "What? What's going on?" Where the doctor just keeps staring at him in the in the rearview mirror. I'm going, "Is the doctor having a conversation with Pin in his head right now?" Oh yeah, that could have been cool. Well, that's knowing how I talk to my cat, you know, the conversations I have with my cat, something, not all of them are out loud, so it'd be very possible that, that I would run off the road talking to my cat who's still getting me in the backseat. But the thing is, with this particular trip, not only is Pin in the backseat being taken to this, this medical convention to, for the doctor to, him to use as a prop, Pin's not coming back. Uh, do, the doctor caught Leon talking with Pin, and he freaked out, and he's like, no, this guy, he's not coming back. I don't care where, I'll donate him. Good reason to, to freak school. out. Yeah. I mean, really, it's it's such a funny form of projection, though, right? Like, I'm not going to actually address the problem and have a conversation with my son, Leon. I'm just going to do away with the dummy. That's the issue. 
Well, obviously, it's the right. dummy's it's fault. The fault. <laughs> it's the inanimate object's fault. It can't possibly might be my flesh and blood, which is a reflection of <laughs> me's fault. No. I'm a perfect white guy. For about another five minutes. And an American <laughs> and a comedian. I'm American. I'm American. Excuse me. I'm American. I know what's going on. Thank you. Thank you. Big star. Big star. Did you see my penis? It was in a movie. See my penis? Hey, no, I'm out of this movie. Please pay me on my way across the border. <laughs> <laughs> Cars flipped. I'm dead. Cool. No, I, I, was, I, was, I was just like that the accident was simple, too. It wasn't like a yes. big glorified accident. It was just no like fireball? Simple, like, oh, God, no. you're fucking dead. Oh, no fireball, no going off the cliff. Ah, none of that stuff. <laughs> but no, it was just a wonderful, Very simple accident. Very clearly not a Friday the 13th episode, or else we have had like 15 <laughs> <No>. explosions. <laughs> From three angles. <laughs> but Leon, Leon Fish's pin out of the pin out of the car, out of the wreckage. He's barely even upset. He's like, as long as pin's okay. I'll be okay. You're just like, oh boy. He didn't have a connection with his parents. He had a connection with Pin. Yeah. I I love the scene that follows where they're then like, let's tear the fucking plastic off this furniture. Let's live oh. a little bit. Let's order pizza and sit on the floor. <laughs> Loved so it. The freedom. I I forgot <laughs> something I wanted to mention starting at the abortion scene. I'm sorry. I want to rewind a little bit and then I want to come back to the the car crash. I wanted to talk mm -hmm. about how the film starts using mirrors to uh, point fingers at, at Leon and Pin's relationship. And the first time we get a really spooky one is in the abortion office. And then we get it again in the car crash. And then we start using them more and more often. And I realized I forgot to mention that because I was engaged and I wasn't looking at my notes. Sorry. That's okay. No, no, no. no. The, 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 I, I did not notice the mirrors, the mirror work until this last time through that I was watching it this morning just to get yep. close. Yep. The mirror work oh, yeah. is so it, cool. It, a, lot yeah. of times, a lot of time, Pin winds up in a scene that he's not yep. in or Leon ends up in a scene he's not in just because there's a mirror in the background. It's never in and focus. And then we do, at the very closing scene, we do the mirror with Ursula. Oh. Um, yeah, because Leon's not here anymore. Right. <sighs> yeah. I'm sorry, I broke. Now it. that his parents are gone, it's, it's Pen can move into the house now. Uh, let's dress him in dad's clothes. Uh, okay, and then give him skin. When they gave him skin, did anyone else think he looked like Patrick Bateman? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> he was really American Psycho. <laughs> or even like a, a little bit like Leatherfacey. I'm upset that my yeah. American Psycho pillow is on the other side of the couch and I cannot conveniently reach it without upsetting my microphone. I have a soft spot for Patrick Bateman, but I went to Sarah Lawrence, so that's to be expected. I love Ursula's freak out when she finds that she's in, like, I, I cannot eat dinner with it at the table. I decided what I want to do with my life. I want to be a writer. Not a hack, but a really worthwhile writer. Like a poet. What do you think? It's fine. Oh, you don't sound too excited about it. Do you have a problem with it? No, I have a problem with it. I don't want it sitting at the table, and I don't want it wearing father's clothes, and I don't want it sleeping in the- You shut Where in the hell do these things come from? Mother? Father? From Penn? <laughs> the best friend you've ever had, and for you to treat him the way you just did. The way absence he came here is goddamn cruel. I want you to go downstairs right now and apologize to him. Now! No! I am not going to apologize to any stupid shit! No! Stop! 
There are three of us in this house now. If you can't accept that, you can pack your bags and live on the street. Is that what you want? Leon, please. I can't eat when he's at the table. I'll talk to him. If he agrees, you promise to be nicer to him? Oh, yes, and I love the relationship we start to set up between Leon and when he can cook and when he can eat. I just love what he said. She's like, well, what did you expect me to do with him? I mean, Pin would wind up locked in a closet somewhere or killed. Or killed! Oh, Leon. Ursula, he's family. Ursula calls him an it, right? And we have another fight? Yes. Like I said, I spent this whole film the first time through and even the second time through when I didn't remember where it all went, dreading what was going to happen to Ursula. Mm -hmm. Terrified. She's primed for tragedy. And then we introduce Stan. I stand Stan. <laughs> Her boyfriend. Who in another movie would be an asshat? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Football asshat. Studying physical education as a career. Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah. No, he's football jock. He's great. He has floppy hair and a nice crew neck sweatshirt, and he wants to learn foreign languages. I love him. He's a himbo. John Piper Ferguson. What a career. This guy's career is bananas. He broke out. He broke out of Canada. Oh, yeah. I mean, most do, if we're being honest. That was a, that was a hot topic on our last show with uh, uh, My Bloody Valentine. How was every Canadian actor's goal to get that role? It's going to get you out of Canada. Oh, yeah. And that movie's all about, like, breaking out of your small town and making your way to something bigger. It's the Canadian dream. But, I mean, this guy this guy was literally in everything. He's been burn notice at Suits, American Horror Story, Brothers and Sisters. Prom Night 2! Oh. Well, that's one of your favorites. Yeah. He was the one, he was the one, oh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the girl. Ke Kelly? Kelly? Oh, I Trey's the one who knows her. their names. Uh, it's not me. <laughs> She's the one who talks like this, and she says, "Oh my God, the lady Sears says the same dress that oh, the lady yes. Sears okay. says the same dress that Elizabeth Taylor wore to the Oscars." The lady at Sears. <laughs> <laughs> He's her date. Okay. He is so charming in this movie, and immediately I'm going, "Oh fuck!" No, it's wonderful. They're both You're too both nice. doomed. You're doomed. You're both Canadians too nice. are doomed. This is <laughs> this is fucking horrible. Something horrible is going to happen to him. Well, and we learn that Stan has his own tragic backstory, and he and Ursula bond over their grief and how hard it is to move past that, and they understand each other. When Stan has to meet Pin, yeah. he's been prepped. He's been prepped. He knows what to expect. He brings a gift. He makes eye contact. He acts like it's normal. Well, he brought a gift for Ursula that got... Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Leon's Ursula can't have nice Leon's things. Leon's cock-blocking himself the whole movie. But the fact that he, he comes in and he's so wonderful with Penn that it, you can see Leon is furious that Stan's not freaked out. Stan, I'd like you to meet Penn. Hello, Stan. It's nice to meet you, Pin. Uh, I've heard a lot about you. I didn't know you liked chocolates until just now. Um, luckily, I brought some with me. It's very nice to meet you. 
Thank you so much for the chocolates. You're welcome. Ursula told you about me. Yeah, and uh, how she named you Pinocchio when she was three years old, and uh, your nose never grew because you never told a lie. You know, the rice is fine. Would you like me to show you the house, Dan? Sure. <clears throat> See you later, Pin. Oh, yeah, because he, he facilitated the entire encounter so that... He, anyone in their right mind would have a conniption fit and, and would be scared off and he'd have Ursula to himself mm-hmm. again. But that also, that tells us a lot about Ursula, right? Because she's so desperate to protect Leon, but also she recognizes what she has in stand that she's in a way she's really acting as the mediator to make sure that this encounter goes as well as humanly possible. Like I love that moment where Leon clearly is already plotting to kill Stan to get rid of him and Ursula is like, it's really important for me that the two of you get along. And I'm just like, Ursula, like I, she's such a fascinating, complex character, mm-hmm. despite the fact that we're really not getting to know that much about her. But I love the fact that she is, she's really trying to make it work. Well, they are the two most important people in her life. Of course she wants them to get together and she's going to do anything to make that happen. And okay, he's a little crazy and he's got a dummy. But once you get past that, yeah, he's perfectly fine. He's okay. Underneath that, he's an okay guy. She has no idea how bad it is. But yeah, because we haven't talked about the first death. Well, second death, first on purpose. Oh my death. gosh! Right, and then I'm sorry. I, I, Aunt I forget Dorothy. that happens all the time. And Dorothy comes in because you're like, oh, Ursula's about to get it, and then you're like, oh, we've got Aunt Dorothy. It's okay. We can kill her instead of Ursula. Oh, <laughs> uh, but she's she's the one. That she's the she's she's the um. What's going to happen to Aunt Ursula is how the rest of the movie's going to go. This is what I'm capable of now. Just say so you no. Know. Yeah, well, we meet we meet Aunt Dorothy uh, after the funeral, and she's wearing all of her like waspy funeral stuff, like a nice funeral skirt suit. And I love I love what Ursula is wearing after the funeral because I there's so much visual metaphor in the costume design. But she's wearing all black, but it has little white piping around the collar and the and the sleeves, and how the black and the white interact when Ursula wears them is going to change. Um, but we learned that Aunt Dorothy is the aunt on the mother's side, and she starts to bring in some of the mother's neuroses into the house. When she comes in, she's like, well, where's your furniture plastic? Oh, well, we better get that back on here. It's very valuable furniture. Like, these people just lost their parents. And she's like, mm, gotta fix that living room. What I love to my favorite Aunt Dorothy moment is when they're standing outside of the house at the funeral, and, and Leon says, no, that's okay. You don't have to move in with it. And Aunt Dorothy turns to him and she goes, she makes this noise. It's kind of like, mm, I really do, but it's more of a yeah. purr. You have a whole life of your own back in the city. Don't worry about that. I really do. Ursula's a minor. She needs someone to take care of her. We need a, we need a responsible adult. Oh, it's, it's not just someone to take care of her. It's, it needs like a woman, a female influence. This is a female influence. Have you seen my ballerina? It's a female influence. No. Yeah, no, so yeah, and, no. and Dorothy don't last long. It's almost comedically hilarious. Well, it's not almost. It is comedically it's hilarious funny. that it, it seems like she's in the house for about 24 hours. And then Leon's like, oh, you got to go, lady. Oh, well, and we have that foreboding conversation where he Leon's talking to Ursula and he's like, well, people don't tend to stay very long where they're not wanted. And I think she will quickly realize she is not wanted here. I definitely understand why people compare this to Psycho because there is that kind of like Bates Motel-esque oh, thing where it's yes. like people check in and then 
immediately mother gets activated. In this case, it's like, pin has been activated. Let's get rid of the interlopers. Yeah, for sure. But it's fascinating to me, too, that he chooses to frighten Aunt Dorothy to death by putting Pin in her bed, which would be like a sexual thing, right? Like it's a woman. Naked. Yeah. Naked. Naked. Yeah. He had had a suit on before this, so he's putting her in bed with her naked. I don't know. Like he did think of it that way, but because if not, he wouldn't have done it that way. But also... Pin told him to do it that way. Pin, that's the thing That's the thing that we didn't get into is that Pin always tells the truth and Pin always does have the best advice for the situation that you're bringing to him. And Whether that, that situation scene, is good or bad is not the point. He will tell you the best way to get through it. Pin is like a movie poster. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's, it's, he's lording over it. It's puppet master stuff. He's a puppeteer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is funny because it's what you expect. And the fact that she died, I mean... He, 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 that he, he may not have even intended that. I just Couldn't wanted to scare her, her off. Pills. She died. I mean, oh, if he well. really wanted her to live, he could have mm. put them in her hand. I love the idea of like vulnerable women dying from. But then they'd get. But then he'd get in trouble because then she would have seen him. It'd be too much talking, too much explaining. It's much better to get. It's much better if you just let her die, Leon. Just this was just too many questions. Yes. Well. We'll all just talk like Pin now. I've never lied to you or for oh, I've, you. Oh, uh, I was just, I watched uh, Diabolique recently. So this idea of like a vulnerable women who are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I the real both. one? The I real one or the remake? Both for different reasons. But yes, the original more so uh, where okay. it's like, okay. a, you know, a woman is a delicate condition. Like <laughs> she's, she's got a weak heart. All women, you know, it. All you had to do is give them a good fright and keep the heart pills away from them, and they're doomed. You know, if we ride the train, our uteruses will fall out. <laughs> if you touch a man, you get pregnant, right? Please keep all ha- <laughs> on legs and uteruses inside the car at all times. That, that's one of my favorite favorite factoids when they were trying to keep women off the steam locomotives. Uh. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I, they brought that up in Murdoch Mysteries too. When the car, when cars. When cars were being invented, when cars were coming on the scene, they women can't drive their uteruses. Well, we'll come and dislodged. <laughs> like, so hysteria is just my uterus waving my fallopian tubes around like Kermit the Frog going, ah! That's how it is in my brain, so let's be real. If only I had an anatomical dummy to show me what was right. That, that's what the sequel would have been, right? <laughs> Fla- flailing off. <laughs> flailing tubes. Stop it! Stop it! Hi, my name's Maya. That was terrible. I'm frequently terrible. That was awful. Where are we? Where were we? Aunt Dorothy died. Genitalia in general is hilarious. Oh, while Aunt Dorothy is alive, we do get a job at the library. Ursula is busting out of the house. A job is good for one's mental health. A job is good for your mental health. Why are you having a problem with your mental health, Ursula? It is interesting that they're they're both employed. I'm using air quotes for the listeners at home. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's working on his poetry, which is of course associated with language, and she works at a library, which is also about it. But like, neither one of them can have a conversation. Like, so they're they're dealing with words and linguistics, and yet they cannot use their own voices to hash out what the fuck is going on in this house. 
Well, we learned that one of the reasons that Ursula's working there is that she can read every book in the psychology section. She's diagnosed it. She's diagnosed. Yeah, she's diagnosed her brother. She knows the condition. She knows what it's about. She knows that there's nothing she can do about it. In the in the scene where we meet Stan at the library, the camera starts out panning up from a book on schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Like she knows early. Oh, and Mm -hmm. I also wanted to talk about we had another little matching brother sister yin and yang moment. Uh, because he knows that a dying, screaming aunt might wake Ursula up. So he's made them both little milkshakes. Oh, yeah. But they're chocolate the and vanilla. There's no reason for them to be different, but we keep making an effort to show... To distinguish. To distinguish into a little split duality. And also just to really hammer home, because they never told us out loud that the chocolate shake has been drugged. Mm-hmm. And the chocolate's for you. I think at one point, it might be during the dinner scene when Stan comes over... Uh, Leon is also wearing like a sweater and it's got like a design at the top like the way that he's framed you can't see the bottom of it but it looks like it's two equal parts that are like divided down the middle and you're like oh we're doing so much with duality like dual duality and we do it with the funeral outfits too because as soon as he takes his jacket off he has a white shirt with a black tie and she has the black jacket with the white trim okay so we have Stan over for dinner and it's going pretty much swimmingly until they Ursula and, and Stan skirt off to a room where they think they're by themselves. So he could be like, oh my God, that guy's fucking insane. Do you think I don't know what's going on here? I've read every psychiatric text in the library. Leon is a paranoid schizophrenic. No one is ever going to cure him of that. He's my brother. And I love him. And I will not see him put away in an institution. Oh, well, after the whole, well, I mean, I mean, this is after the poetry reading, too, which was absolutely horrific with testes. Well, I suppose I should, um, I should preface this by telling you my hero, uh, testes, uh, a sort of modern-day Beowulf is out to to gain immortality um, by creating as much progeny as he can. Uh, sorry. He'll make love to any woman in the hopes of um, impregnating her. At this point, he's fathered um, 173 children. Quite a potent guy. Um, in these lines, he's contemplating rape for the first time. closer she came to him, moving, it seemed in silent motion. His heart beat steadily within the caverns of his bosom, driving hot blood thick down, down into the depths of his loins. He lunged from the deepest, darkest passions in us all. She turned without a sound and faced him. He stopped abruptly. It was as if a knife had performed an instant castration. He was looking into the eyes of his sister. It likes to make as much progeny as possible. He has impregnated uh, 178 women. It's whatever. It's disgusting. And he's now contemplating rape for the first and time. And then the big twist in the rape poem is that he freezes in his tracks in mid-rape because it's his sister. Dun-dun. No Freudian euphemisms here. Totally normal. Yeah, pay you. Yeah, past the yeah. cheese doodles. Totally Just a normal. regular evening at this house. And Stan is concerned for Ursula's well-being and her bodily safety. And she's like, it's a poem. And he's like, is it? It's never just a poem. It's never just a poem. 
No, it didn't even rhyme. <laughs> no. Stan just unloads like he's not he's not well he's dangerous you need to get we need to get him help and that's another one of those scenes with the mirror you, where you see, see him in the mirror first as he's coming around the corner in the hallway mm-hmm. so he, he once again Leon's present the whole scene and he's heard the whole thing and he knows everything's a lie yeah I need psychiatric help I can't do that you have to he, he really believes that that thing is a person doesn't he realize he's using ventriloquism? He's not hurting anyone. He can just go on living here and writing his poetry. His poetry is sick. He's talking about raping his sister. It's just a poem. Is it? Would you uh, like another drink, Stan? Thank you. Leon, would you like another drink? I'm feeling very well. If you, too, excuse me, I go to bed. And everything goes up until up until he has that wonderful scene upstairs with Penny. He's like, "Isn't Stan great? I said, "Well, we're going to be the best of friends, and it's going to be great." And you realize that outside of you and Ursula, he's the first person to hear my poetry, and he genuinely liked it. Be careful. You know you have a tendency toward blind optimism. I'd love to sit and argue, Pin, but um, I'd like to get downstairs if that's okay with you. You are as prone to blind optimism. Be careful around Stan. Yeah. And then he goes back downstairs and he hears. Here's the whole thing. And then Ursula turns around. Would you like another drink, Leon? (laughs) Wonderful scene at the chopping block. Oh, yeah. Good morning. You're up early. I need firewood. Leon, thank you for being so nice to Stan. Sure. It's really important to me that you two like each other. What if we didn't like each other? Well, I don't want to think about that. What if I told you I didn't like him? But you do. You read him your poetry. What if I hate him? What would you do? Who would you choose? Leon, don't tease me. Don't put me in the middle, okay? Oh, the axe and the the camera work in that scene's really great because we start with like just the axe head and the top of the building behind it, and we come down with it. It's and it's like very clear he knows how to use that axe. He's knows how to use the axe. Uh, What what if I didn't like him? What would you do? Who would you choose? And it's like, oh no, this is gonna come to a head. This is gonna be really bad for everyone. And it's interesting, though, that this is the point where Ursula does try to diffuse the situation using language, right? Where she tries to say, no, I care for both of you. Wouldn't it be great if you both liked each other? Like, she's trying so fucking hard to use everything she learned in Mm -hmm. those books to be like, no, I can still handle this. I can still have it all. Well, she went into dinner dress for battle. She's wearing something that's modern and 80s, but it has epaulets and a little military collar. Like, she's ready. She's got her armor. All she needed was a fez. She needs a fez. But her hair has also been more modern. As she starts to express herself and mm. have, have her relationship with Stan, she starts to look more of the time. Oh, my God. Her hair is gloriously 80s. It's so fantastic. Gorgeous. But not a, not a cartoon of the 80s. I, it looks no. gorgeous no, 80s. No. She looks fantastic. It's, I think she looks great. It's not ropey level. No, well, well, come on now. That's, that's, that's supernatural stuff you're talking about there. Although, in all of this, we did miss the part where... 
Leon's like, well, fine. You're going to go out on a date. Then I'm going to go out on a date, too. Oh, poor Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Helene Yudi. It's a role. She's so good in this one scene that she's in. It's so good. I told my brother I was coming over here tonight, and he laughed at me. Which is a wonderful change, because she starts... I mean, your first real... I didn't make the connection that it was the same girl at the beginning that they were talking about, but the first time you see her at the movies and she's like eating out his ear, I'm like, what are you doing? We saw her... What are you doing? We saw her at the dance. We saw her at the dance when Ursula was getting some. She wanted to dance with Leon. She's had a crush on him for years. Years. Yeah, but she's coming off as a bitch when she comes back to that. You know, don't touch me. I'll adjust myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think she's getting the weird vibes, but she's... Yeah. But whatever. I'm here to commit this. Let's just do this. Get it over with. Whatever. She's all, she, oh, Marsha, Marsha, she may be a pig, but she's an efficient pig. She's like, let's just do this. Get this done. Okay, done. <laughs> I thought I heard someone. I didn't hear anything. Might have been Pin. Who's Pin? He's a friend who's staying with us. Well, he wouldn't just walk in on us now, would he? Done it before. Well, tell him not to. Uh, I can't. Leon, do you want to go to bed with me or not? I do. Good. Then just put a chair under the doorknob. Just knowing he's in the, in the same house bothers me. I'm sorry. You know what I think. I think you're full of shit. God, it must be crazy to be here tonight. You know, I told my brother I was coming here tonight and he laughed. And I defended you. Boy, was I dumb. Excuse me. I have to see about Pin. Gonna get my ride home. Great. And she's like, aren't you gonna undress yourself? And he just kind of stands there and looks lost. Yeah, awful. And she has her top off and she's like, I'm here. I'm ready. Gorgeous. He's like, she's gorgeous. I'm like, just go. I'm gay as a goose. And I'm just, go, boy, go. <laughs> go. It's never gonna get any better than that. <laughs> right there. Yeah, that's, that is it right there. But I think we're, we're meant to believe that this is like the first pair of breasts that he's seen since... Like the magazine and the nurse, right? Oh yes, agree. Well, we didn't even see anything with the nurse. No, nurse had her clothes on. Nurse had her clothes right. on. Right. Yeah. So this might be the very first pair of boobs he's seen. Yeah. So it's not a surprise that like the minute her top comes off, it's like, oh, pin. I'm hearing pin. I should check on pin. Yeah, I. I my Who dummy the fuck is, is calling pin? me. Uh, what are you doing? Just put a chair under the door. She tries, yeah, she tries to work with it. She tries to be like, just put a chair under the door if you're worried about it. And he's like, it bothers me knowing that he's even in the house. And she just gives up. Fair, fair. Yeah, at that point, like, the sex is not happening. Just let it go. Like, just put your top on and leave. No, no, but she can't find a jacket. You she take goes her downstairs, jacket. looks for her jacket in the dark, only, only to have a chase scene with a fucking dummy. In a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. Such a good scene because Helene Uni is, among other things, a scream queen. Hmm. You know, she's got one of the most famous movie deaths in horror movie history from uh, My Bloody Valentine. And she doesn't scream. No. 
and this whole scene she just she's, screams she's almost like shocked into silence right yeah shocked and disgusted it repels it's more like yeah. repulsion again Repul- it's, it's what she's seeing that like does not compute and it's a chase of the house and i know probably if i saw this when i was 18 i would have been really mad that she didn't get killed I'm so relieved she doesn't get killed. Yes, I realize agreed. That if Ursula had not come in then, that girl would have been dead. Oh, Absolutely. Sure. And it's yeah. down to the wire, and it's someone Ursula knows so she can be a source of comfort. Uh, and you, you can see the cogs turn in Ursula's mind as she goes, this is no longer something I can handle. Yeah. No. 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 But I do love the fact that she doesn't die because that... I, I mean, I don't like to use the word elevated or prestige or any of that like nonsense bullshit that people use as descriptors. But mm-hmm. this, to me, is kind of like the classier, smarter way to play this because it would have been easy to make this tawdry and say, okay, well, you saw her tits and now we're going to cover her in blood. Yeah. And instead the film is like, no, we're going to give you a psychological, like it's tense. It's really tense and dreadful. And yeah. then you get the catharsis of her getting rescued by Ursula. And it's uh-huh. still it's still upsetting because we don't we get a good like 45 seconds of her just weeping into ursula's shoulder and we see how traumatized she is even alive and that is upsetting in a way that's like i love i love the gore i love all the exploitative stuff for different reasons and i i very much agree with your point it's there to unsettle us and then yeah. we get that final, like, beautiful shot of Leon walking away, and he's manipulating the wheelchair to follow him like it's a toy. Yeah. Like puppy. Come on, Pam. Yeah. Okay, we're just going to go away. And you're just like, oh, it's so creepy and delicious. I love it. Taking my ball and going home. Yeah, and, 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 and just skipping forward, uh, Leon devises this plan. While Ursula's at work, he's like, I'm going to invite Stan over. I'm going to trick him. I'm going to tell him we're planning a surprise party for Ursula's birthday. Gonna come over. We started with Ursula, Ursula's birthday, and we will end with Ursula's birthday. Mm-hmm. She has come of age. She has <laughs> realized what her brother is. This whole scene, I was like, "Please don't, please don't, please don't, just please don't. don't." Whatever oh, you could, whatever you're doing, just please don't. We didn't talk about the gift she gave Stan. The Telltale Swatch. The Telltale Swatch. Uh, <laughs> twice, Stan asks her what time it is. Once, when he's getting to know her at the library. The second time, at their date. And then they move from Chinese food uh, to the theater. So she, she gives him a watch as a gift. And it's thoughtful. And she talks about it. I never got that. These... That's cute. He doesn't never knows what time it is. You got baby. him a watch. That's cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the rule of three. He comes back that third time when, it, when we need it to be that moment. Uh, yeah, and it, and it has all the new digital features because it's 1988. Um, it beeps every hour on the hour, whether you want it to or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can't turn it off. I remember those. Can't turn it off. But yeah, he invites Dan back and just, oh gosh, gets him to have a drink. The drink is, of course, drugged. It doesn't go properly. But he's a gym teacher. He's so full of muscles that he would have needed more drugs and more time for it to kick in. You didn't give it enough time, Leon. Oh my god, that pin And then voice. you scared him. <laughs> and poor Stan winds up getting his head bashed and I was crushed. I mean, so is Stan. Crushed. <laughs> for both of them. I'm like, this is terrible. I feel terrible for Stan. I feel terrible for Ursula. Did we lose Joe? Oh, I love the face he's frozen on. <laughs> Isn't that great? What a great face. <laughs> I, think, I think we lost him. I'm going to go to the chat and check on him. Yeah. Uh, we, I didn't tell him how to come back. In the meantime, I'm taking a screenshot of this because this is amazing. Please do. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. It was... I tried to get a screen grab of it, but it went away too quickly. It was amazing. He's <laughs> <laughs> <You're> like, oh! <laughs> it was... If you had to be frozen, I'm glad you were frozen that way. It was, it was okay. epic. Well, I'm, I'm glad I was so able to on. leave in a delightful fashion. <laughs> it was. It was delightful. I was delighted. We were just talking about how gutting it was, this whole thing. Oh, yeah. Watching Stan get smashed in the head with whatever that bookend was. So did you think he was dead at this point? I did. Okay. We had no reason to think otherwise. Yeah. I, I was hopeful when we saw Leon package him up and then put him into the wood pile i was like no this can't be the end of it it, it could have gone either way because canadian movies honestly will kill people willy-nilly like well, that. of course because yeah. you guys you guys have that independent funding and so you're not as concerned with sequel well no i mean this you're getting funded yeah. from other sources so you're not concerned about sequels you're not as concerned about marketing and how the branding is going to go mm-hmm. but also we haven't shown a lot of blood so far there's been several right. deaths and no like blood spray and it's the last reel Someone's got to die. Someone's going to die. No, I, I was 100% he's dead. And he was in that wood pile for a really long time in a plastic bag. <laughs> yeah. I was so gutted. Good. And she comes back, and Ursula comes back just looking for him and so hopeful and so worried about him. And you just know the whole time, the whole time he's in the wood pile, you poor thing. Getting brain damage. Yeah. Getting brain damage while you're sitting there. Well, this guy's trying to make you eat roast beef and cake. <laughs> and opening a second bottle of wine. He's just going to town. He's, He's celebrating. So happy. Our domestic life is back. Yeah. All, yeah. The, all the people that could have stood in our way. Nope, we're back to normalcy in Leon's mind. Mm-hmm. Are all gone. Mm-hmm. And that wonderful scene where he's just talking shit about mom and dad. And she goes, well, all I know is, all I remember is that dinners were always warm and they were on time and tasted good. And every night dad would ask me a question and he'd give me a kiss on the head, whether it was right or whether it was wrong. And that's kind of the differences between the two right there. He remembers the bad shit. He's, I mean, he's been scarred by the bad shit, but she's holding on to the nicer stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's their duality too, right? Like she's yeah. the positivity, she's the the more quote unquote normal one, and he is the one who's like, No, I got all the doom and gloom. All the darkness came to me. And that answer that she gives is really he cannot process it. Like he, he's just visibly shaking. He's, I can't like it's not going nothing's oh, going yeah, the way yeah. it's supposed His to go. His hands are shaking at the table as soon as she starts to be positive again because he thinks we're this is the return to normalcy. We're secure now. It's going to be fine. And mm-hmm. you and I can agree about how mother and father were. Yeah. And she's upset that her like chance at feeling okay has been taken away from her, and it just destroys him that they can't be matchy matchy. And yeah, he's like, well, let's go out in the living room and read some poetry. I'll read some more poetry. I'll go get it. Bring the wine. Bring the wine. A little drop of blood. <laughs> and even then, she's just out there as optimistic as you could possibly be. She's like, I want to hear some poetry. We're going to have some cake, and I'm going to make the best of this shitty night, even though my oh, boyfriend stood me up. We, we until- lost over. He was trying to convince her that Stan was cheating on her. Oh, yeah. He said disappearing oh, right. was a sign of uh, being unfaithful, and why are you acting upset for someone who's disappeared on you? Bitch, you did no. the disappearing. I'm worried about him. I'm not, I don't think he's cheating. I'm worried about him. Yeah. Two different things. She's just out there. She's still out there just trying to be as optimistic as possible, and she's waiting for him, and what happens? Beep, beep. Here's the watch. The watch beep. 
And even then, she's like, she takes the best one. Stan, are you here? Are you, are you hiding? hiding? I love. She's looking behind the curtains, and I'm just, <laughs> like, "Where do you think he's been this whole time?" I was, or? This was still. This was. It was. It was ripping at my heart. I'm like, "Oh, you poor thing. You poor thing. You poor <sighs> she still innocent wants to little baby." The best in him, right? Yeah, best, the best in the everybody. Best in and also, you remember, like, I don't know how old this was. She's like, what, seventeen? At this point, I don't think she's out of high school. So this is a, this is a child still. She's got this childish optimism, and it's just about to come crushing down when she finds the watch. And the blood. Mm-hmm. What have you done? What have you done? It was Pin. Pin did it. No, stop it! I wasn't even here when it happened. I, I was out no. shopping. I got back late. Stan was no. here. He was in a terrible argument with no. Pin. He said something about you that Pin didn't like. Stan was furious. They started fighting. He, he hit his head on the mantle. He was dead before I got here. Stop it! It was an accident, but but I was afraid. I, I was scared they'd take Pin away. I couldn't let him do that. I know you couldn't either. Stop it! Away! What I think about this about this final confrontation that is absolutely incredible. He confesses. You know, Pin did it. Pin did it. Pin did it. Did it. Pin was fighting. I wasn't even here. They were fighting, and yeah, and he fell and he hit his head, and and and, and this went, and she runs out, yeah. and he's having another conversation with Pin. Why didn't you help me? I have never lied to you or for you. I want you to. I need you to. I don't know how, and neither do you, and that's why you do it so badly. What am I going to do? We did it for Ursula. You're lying again, Leon. We didn't do it for Ursula. We did it for you. I have never lied to you or for you. Iconic. 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 There's no final battle. There's no there's no scene of her like um, poor Mar- Marsha being terrorized through the house. She has had enough. She has no fucks left to give. She's heard all she needs to hear. She left the room and came back with an accent. Ended the shit. No questions asked. I'm done. But I love that we don't follow her outside. We don't see her pick up the axe or any of that stuff. Like, it's like we, the movie trusts us to figure it out. Like, when she comes in, it's just like, oh, yeah, there she is. She's got the axe. We know exactly where she got it from. We know exactly what's going to happen. Yes. Uh, but like like you mentioned earlier, I think it is very much from Leon's point of view, even if we start to mm-hmm. break our reality from his Yes, yeah, it, it's still very much affixed to him and his struggle with Pin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I love, too, like, mm-hmm. it, we don't even see the point of contact. It's like a, it's a Well, it's I love that right? as a misdirect. I yeah. loved that, and it got me hard the first time, and I loved it. And we just go from seeing her, it starts to slow-mo frame as she swings the axe down, and then we are outside she's in the back of a cop car which looks a lot like the car she was in the back of when her parents died Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um we're just i was completely in awe at how many visual things recurred just the the amount of care that went into all the details in this movie Uh, but yeah she's sitting in the back of the cop car and the cops are searching through the wood pile and they find stan and it's awful in the rain oh in the rain and there's looky-loos just 
God, it's the worst moment of some people's lives. And life. she hears that he's alive, and she's just trying to get out of the car, and she I can't because she's under arrest because she just assaulted somebody with an axe, and they're still trying to figure out what the fuck went on. Awful, 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 awful. Then we dissolve. And then we come back to the present, because remember, the opening scene was actually set in present day, and this is all actually been flashbacks. Yeah! Mm-hmm. Back in the present, 15 years after the uh, original spooky kid scene. Yeah, big, big flashy car pulling up to the house. Okay, so it's a sunny day outside. It's a flashy car. It's an 80s styled convertible. We have mm-hmm. made it to present day. We are no longer stuck in any of the anachronistic stuff. She's wearing a very 80s sweater and it's a melding of black and white stripes. She now has to carry the duality for both of them. Mm-hmm. And there, whatever situation she's in right now, her and Stan are now married, and he's a success. Because before this, he was driving that shitty orange station wagon-looking yep. thing. No, Ursula is driving. This is Ursula's car. That's true. That's true. And also, Ursula has money, which she didn't know about. I, I was going to say, yeah, like because they were always well off, so presumably she now has that entire family inheritance. Oh, sorry. Uh, Leon accuses Stan of being a gold digger mm-hmm. uh, right before he hits him over the head. Right. Because um, no Ursula doesn't to... know how much money she's worth. She well, has yeah. no idea. Because she's a child. Yes, and also Leon didn't tell her, which is also keeping her trapped. Yeah. But yeah, she shows up at the house. She's looking, looking fat, amazing. Looking like a mature adult. She walks to the house. This, this random woman pops out. It's like, oh, hi, Mrs. So-and-so. How are you? How's it? The woman is wearing all white and has a very modern hairstyle. She has some awful spiky bangs. Oh, late 80s. Uh-huh. Late 80s. Clearly, I live in aid. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Uh, apparently, apparently she's not. She doesn't live there anymore. She's just popping in for a visit before she goes on vacation. And wants to say goodbye to Pim. Yeah. The movie got me really hard. I was so upset she was talking to Pim. That guy in the window at the beginning, the mannequin in the window, that's her brother. He's paralyzed now. She did that to him. Mm-hmm. And Leon's gone. It's all Pim all the time. Hello, Pim. Stan and I are on our way to Cape Cod for vacation. I will be gone about a week. Is there anything you'd like? Line the music box. Have you heard from Leon? No. I miss him a great deal. So do I. I I can see why, again, people compare this to something like Psycho, but I actually think mm-hmm. that that does this movie a big disservice because this movie doesn't treat that like a massive twist in the way that Psycho does. It's not Agreed. revelatory. This is just no. sad. Just no. sad. And it was so effective. I I like had a real emotional journey watching this multiple times. And Pin himself isn't malevolent. Leon is. No. Pin isn't malevolent. It's a struggle for both to exist, but Leon Pin, Pin, end of movie Pin, asks yeah. Ursula, have you seen Leon? I miss him a lot. And just, it's yeah. your horror. Me, me it too. It broke my heart. And just that final shot of his face 
pale. Mm-hmm. He's pinned. He's literally pinned now. Yeah. He's got the weird wig on. His skin is a funny texture. He's yeah. pinned. He's yeah. pinned. And that's how the movie ends. It's with a wonderful little synth waltz playing underneath it. It's a wonderfully haunting ending. There's no big scares in this, but it doesn't need it. It's just one big long oogie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one big long goosebump. I think it's a fabulous little film. Oh, yeah. It's great. I didn't catch a lot of the stuff you guys are talking about, the visual stuff. That's not how my brain works. But um, I, a lot of the other things, things that kept looping back plot-wise and reference-wise, I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is really well thought out. And it's tight. Like, this is this is barely an hour 40. Yeah. Well, we just, I think a lot of it is uh, what Joe brought up about trying to escape the town, escape the household, because we go from watching uh, Dr. Dad and Mom have tea on the lawn, and then in the new in the new reality, we have Leon and Ursula having tea on the lawn and are reserved off-white colors. Like, it's, they're struggling so hard. Um, between the, like the environment they think they're supposed to be in and the environment they actually have. I loved the visual stuff. There was so much of it. I don't even think we spoke to all of it. It was just all of this was thoughtfully crafted. We'll be here all night. And when I yeah. did a cursory Google of what's this movie? Why can't I find it on any streaming service? I right. found when it originally came out, it didn't even premiere in theaters. It was a straight to video release in 1988. Yeah. Well, it did, it did theaters in Canada, but not in the US. It's, it's not, it's never made any money. Yeah, it, it has not made any money at all. Tiny, clearly, but it's it's funny. It's got a huge fan base, like a cult fan base. It's uh, grown, yeah. yeah. But at the time, when it was a new line was supposed to release it, and they did a screening of it. And this is they, not a movie that would test well. No, no. And the problem was on top of it. What there's also like no information out there. I got this off of Joe Blow, but they said that the screening was like 90 minutes late, uh, hmm. and by that time the audience had turned hostile. Yeah. So they laughed the whole movie. They oh. laughed the whole movie, and New Line wasn't interested in doing a second screening. They said, forget it, shelve it. Well, and if you think about it, it if And it's an only $3 million loss. It was a, it was a small Right. You can just yeah, no, the off. cast is tiny. They don't do any special effects. Uh, yeah, the whole budget went no to Pin. There's no stairs. There's no blood. So if you're already feeling hostile. Pin was $700,000. You can see money went into Pin. Pin looks. That is dummy unsettlingly is scary good. and good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, mean, I can even spot in a couple of times when it's a person in there. There's, there is somebody listed in there as yeah. pin double. Yeah. Particularly in the scene where she's moving the head, you can see that. It, but it still looks great. Oh, yeah. All it of still it looks, looks absolutely good. great and unsettling. Just absolutely unsettling. And also a terrible anatomical dummy because you can't teach it. It's just muscles. You can't see the organs. So Maybe it's all about muscles and dick. It's we, about muscles and dick. It's about muscles and dick. You you haven't seen him explain a surgery to a small child. Maybe it gets worse. Well, then again, to a gay man, what else is there? Muscles and dick. I was going to say, you're, you're literally <laughs> describing the best model. And that just sounds like Fire Island Instagram. Since it's a Scream Queens, the podcast where hard gets gay, I have to pick out the gay in the movie. The librarian. She The, the elder lesbian? Uh-huh. The, the you can go home early today? Not the live-in aide at the end? Please, I think the librarian and the aide are totally a couple. I have a soft spot for girls in love. Oh, yeah. yeah. I bet you yeah. do, girl. I bet you do, girl. She's <laughs> like, go, go frolic with your lesbian. Go, go. It'd be hard to be a small-town lesbian. I guess working at the library, like, oh, You're gonna pick be up in all the library, those book-smart <laughs> girls. I don't know. Maybe maybe she'd, like, volunteer for those things where libraries lend books to libraries in other towns. You'd find the other library uh, lesbians. <laughs> the library lesbian contingent there's a gift uh, that's absolutely a contingent 
<laughs> it totally would be. I, mean, I can't find any gay in here. It doesn't need to be in here. It's a perfect movie. I, I think mean, it's we could spend a lot of time talking about Leon's uh, complete aversion to sex and yeah. why that's queer. Yes. You know, the, the zoomed out well, meaning well, of the sure, word sure, queer. sure. You can, put, you can put that into asexual, but I think it, that's more, not even so much orientation. That was trauma. No, but I, I'm not even talking about orientation. I'm talking about when people use, like, queering as a verb, like... Yeah. Queering the kitchen, queering the space. Uh, something is different about him, and he can't put a finger on it. It's causing him pain, and he doesn't know why. He's not having the same experience as the other teenagers. Mm-hmm. And we we could talk about that. Yeah, true. Well, I yeah. think too his emotional connection. I think at, in the middle stage that you talked about, it's. I I think we're supposed to read it as a yearning for fatherly love, but also yeah. it's a it's like a preteen boy who's obsessed with like very effeminate objects and disinterested yeah. in breasts. So there's a possibility he might have been like gay had he grown up under normal circumstances, but then he gets shifted into like full. Oh, uh, and I also want to take the moment to acknowledge that mentally ill people are more likely to be victims of violence than perpetrate violence. Mm-hmm. And I love yeah. this genre, but I don't want to perpetuate any negative stereotypes for any listeners oh sure yeah Yeah. Yeah. these Um, movies do far more damage to the stigma of mental illness than they do like because they want to make it entertaining and for some reason that means oh well we should always weaponize mental illness if there isn't Mm -hmm. a magical explanation if there's going to be a scientific explanation mental illness is the one that people misunderstand the most and is easiest to use yeah Uh, what's i like about this one too like he's not a monster from the beginning, I, in no. ways he's presented as a as a victim, like more of a victim. He, well, he's a victim, but also he's not a monster. But like any illness or injury, if it's left untreated, it's going to fester and turn toxic, and that is what happens here because it, it escalates. It's like he maybe didn't mean to kill Aunt Claire or whatever her name was, or Aunt Dorothy. Dorothy maybe didn't mean to do that, but yeah, these little things maybe just keep Dorothy building. I was going to say Aunt Dorothy. How do we not clue into that? <laughs> She, she gets my gay vote. There we go. Gay aunt. I think at the end of the day, the the real, the villain of this movie is the. She was going to be moving her traveling companion in any day now. Yeah. Oh, she's oh free house. Oh no, you're minors. Oh, it'll be good for my heart to get out of the city. Free house. What's up? She was going to kill those kids and move in her lesbian <laughs> lover. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna log in my attic like my cousin Kathy did. <laughs> Just part of the library guild from one to and over. They wrote a book about it. It's hilarious. <laughs> well, VC Andrews hits Intermediate. That's what could happen. <laughs> the only big surprise is that the climax of this movie didn't take place in the attic. This is dumb. But I realized I grew up with my own pin. Did you? This is 2XL. God. He played eight track tapes. I had a Teddy Rex. And it taught pin. you things. This is my as, as being as being the youngest by thirteen years and like the smartest kid, did being gifted. I didn't fit in with anybody else. This was my best friend. Right. <laughs> if there's a murder spree with a robot with an attractive, <laughs> it's me. It's me. I'm just saying it now. For folks who no, can't no, see this at home, it looks like something between the security guards in Chopping Mall and something you might see on the Jetsons. It's like if a robot had to also be a lunchbox. It is very rosy. It is very rosy. It just need it just needs the little. Right. Good yeah. job, email. Yeah. Thank you. Have a nice day. He was awesome. I forgot I even had him. I was just walking to record the thing, and I was like, oh, yeah, he's right here in my bookcase. He's been staring at me this whole time. Following you wherever you go. Can't blink. No eyelids. 
It's from 1978, so it just has little red eyes, those little red lights. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we've done Pim. Or has Pim done us? No, I think I think we've done Pim, and so is the nurse. Okay. <laughs> By the way, that nurse got off scot-free living her best life somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Caused all this trauma, was never to be seen again. She's like, you don't believe it, my last job I fucked is robots. <laughs> I got paid for it. Find you a job where you can like fuck the anatomical dummy and get away scot free, and also earn a paycheck. Right? That sounds that sounds great. Oh, Ken, and have universal health care at the same time. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you, Canada. Oh, Canada. All right. So that was pain. I think it's a great little movie. We spoiled it, but I don't think it matters. I agree. Nah. This is almost a movie that plays better, I imagine, a second time around, too, because you're not worried about Ursula. You're not wondering what's going to happen next. You can just enjoy the way it's constructed and how artfully. I very much agree. You see how all the things start to overlap and how things get foreshadowed and and, and things like that. Wonderful stuff. So, Joe, I never asked, what part of Canada are you from? So I grew up out west in Calgary, but I've lived in Ontario and more specifically Toronto for about the last six or seven years. Nice. So it's like the New nice. York of Canada. It's the biggest nice. city please, in the country. Please, please, please with that. Oh, we're, 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 we're very well first in Toronto. Thank you, Friday the 13th. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, Sorry, we I noticed, think you America Town. America Town. Joe doesn't know about America Town. <laughs> they make such an effort in the early, in the early seasons to sh- prove that they're not in Canada, like mm-hmm. just throwing America flags in all over the place. Oh, yeah. Even this movie did it. Even this movie did it. That kid had a New York City, an NYC baseball cap. Yep. Yep. On at the beginning. Oh, yeah, America down, but. That's uh, one of the telltale signs that it is a Canadian production is because oh, yes. it is so desperately eager to either be set nowhere or it's, like, aggressively American. And then you're mm-hmm. like, hmm, but that money is all different colors. Nice yeah, try. Like, like me, Mary Lou herself. Like the, before they got, she got set on fire, she was practically fucking that guy on top of an American flag backstage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even Mary Lou was not... Was not uh, uh, immune from it so before we go tell us what goes on over at horror queers and uh, where can people find you so if you want to hear me talk this stupidly on a regular basis you can listen every wednesday when new horror queers episodes come out and that's available anywhere you get a podcast and if you are looking to just find me i'm available on twitter and instagram at b stole my remote and that's the letter b fabulous maya mm. Now, I, I mentioned earlier that Joe writes for Bloody Disgusting. Oh, yes. Weren't you just in Bloody Disgusting? I was. What were you uh, doing? I play a few I, It was characters. bloody and it was disgusting. That's all I know. <laughs> it's me. It's, it's usually at least one of those things. Uh, I voice a few She was characters. making this face. God damn it, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I voice... A few characters in a forthcoming video game. It is called Strangeland. It is coming out next month. Go wishlist us on Steam. Read the article on Bloody Disgusting. I can use consonants. Read the article on Bloody Disgusting. Um, but yeah, no, it it's um, uh, distributed by Wajidai Games. It's it's really exciting. It's also very spooky. What's spooky the game games. about, Maya? Oh, uh, explain. It's a it's a point and click adventure game. 
It's very spooky and unsettling, and I cannot succinctly describe it because it is spooky and unsettling. It's called Strangeland. Go wishlist us on Steam, and you can listen to me be a whole bunch of spooky things. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Very nice. And of course, we can always find Maya over at... Damn you, Uncle Lewis! Our patrons exclusive Friday the 13th, the series, retrospective podcast. Thank you both very much for joining me. This has been a lot of creepy, slightly inappropriate fun, but totally worth it. <laughs> and Joe, thumbs up for you and your country. Ah, we try our best. Moose heads for everybody. There we go. Well, all right, that's going to wrap things up on our discussion of Pin and also our celebration of Canadian horror movies. Thank you again to Maya Murphy from Damn You, Uncle Lewis, and to Joel Lipset from Bloody Disgusting and the Horror Queers. Be sure to check them all out. The links are down there in the show notes. And, of course, the biggest thank you of all. Bottom of my heart, thank you, Canada. Thank you for being awesome. Thank you for being the best possible neighbors that we could possibly ask for and for providing us with the slew of fantastic horror movies. Je t'aime, je t'aime, je t'aime. I know I need to work on my Quebecois, but that's all I got for now. So this episode ran a lot longer than I thought it was going to the discussion part, and that's fine. But I realized in all the kerfuffle, we forgot to mention and give praise to the fabulous actress who played Ursula, the divine Miss Cynthia Preston. Uh, she's still working. She's still fabulous. Uh, she was in the Carrie remake, played Sue Snell's mom. She's been on Hannibal. She's been in Bones. She was on General Hospital for like five seasons playing Faith Roscoe. She was on The X-Files. She was in the horror movie The Brain. And, and, and she was on Friday the 13th, the series, in not one but two episodes. Brilliant performance. She's the heart of the movie, and I can't believe we forgot to mention her. But you know what? That's not all we forgot to mention. Oh, no, I know. We, we forgot somebody else big as well. The voice of Pin. How can we forget the voice of Pin? The voice of Pin was played by actor Jonathan Banks. Who's that, you say? Well, I'm going to tell you. Jonathan Banks, you're probably going to know him because he was Mike on Breaking Bad. And it better call us all. Fantastic actor, both stage and screen, and we totally ignored him. We're horrible people. We're horrible. Or as Joe would say, sorry, not making fun of him. I'm jealous. I wish I could live someplace that cool with that cool of an accent. Anyway, before we wrap things up, I want to say thank you to my partner in crime, the fabulous folks over at Captivate FM, the disco dancing, all up, muscly, roller skating, ninja fighting, karate chopping, break dancing, popcorn popping, Jedi warriors at Captivate FM, who are my podcast hosts. As you know, podcast hosting in the past for me was an absolute nightmare, but everything with Captivate FM is an absolute dream, and Captivate FM is the only podcast host that is dedicated to helping your show grow. Through Captivate FM, just this past couple of months, I my numbers have almost doubled because I've expanded into India through Captivate FM. Who knew there was such a, uh, a thirst for queer horror in India? But hello, welcome everybody. Welcome Indian listeners. I'm glad to have you here. And thank you, Captivate FM, for getting me out to them. That's super cool. So if you're tired of your podcast, if you're tired of playing games, if you're tired of getting screwed, if you're tired of getting stuff for free where they make you the product, maybe you own your show or maybe you don't, you don't know, we'll forget. Try out Captivate FM for free for seven days. And get this, we have brand new links. We're all a bit.ly nonsense. Now it's really easy to remember this stuff because can, you can find it all through the Scream Queens website. You just go to www.screamqueens.com slash captivate for seven day free trials. And of course, that's Queens with a Z. And if you... This has been your first time here and you've enjoyed yourself. Please recommend us to a friend. Tell a friend, share a link, 
Get somebody else to listen. Join in the fun. Show the, show your friends how much you love Canada. And that goes for you longtime listeners, too. Share, share, share. You are my best word of mouth. You are my best advertising. And if you'd like to leave a review of the show, you can head on over to www.lovethepodcast.com slash screamqueens, which will let you post a review on iTunes, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and a whole bunch of others. Without having to go and like pull up the whole app and that type, type, type. You just do a one, one, one shot, one and done. And hey, if you really, really enjoyed the show and you're not really up for a subscription or becoming a patron on Patreon, you might help out with a one shot deal. And I'm actually asking for help because, as I said earlier, Miss Moochie had an emergency room visit today and I am almost a thousand dollars poorer than I was this morning. And so, uh, it would be a big help if you bought me a coffee. You can go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash screamqueens. You can make a donation of one, three, or five dollars, and believe me, that will help. Thank you. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can find me on Facebook. Do a search on Scream Queens where horror gets gay, except no substitutes. I'm on Twitter at Scream Queens. I'm on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. And oh, hey, 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 if you really want to celebrate Canada, gosh, I forgot to mention this last time, over at the Scream Tees merchandise store the official scream queen store it is canada horror appreciation month over there i have pulled designs featuring artwork from prom night prom night to hello mary lou terror train scanners the brood and a whole bunch of other fabulous horror movies from canada that you can wear you can get put them on a mug you can put them on a phone case you can put them on stickers or magnets or, or just about anything you can think of so to celebrate canada with some fabulous scream queens merchandise at bit.ly slash merch sq bit.ly slash merch sq so as i mentioned earlier next time we're going to be doing murder by death with Kristen petty from killing your darlings podcast and it's also my birthday show so who knows what other surprises are going to be happening well i do know but i'm not going to tell you because then it won't be a surprise jeez that's how this stuff works so anyway until next time my beautiful beautiful screamers continue to make the world a creepier but more fabulous place by living by the scream queen's golden rule say it along with me if you know it Fight or flight, survive the night, make it to the final reel, wear a fucking mask, wash your fucking hands, keep your fucking distance, get the fucking shot, stay fabulous, and don't forget for a minute that I love you. Bye. The music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs>